Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined this week by Kieran Fletcher, and the matchup we're going to be getting into is 2007's Zodiac versus 2015's Spotlight. Kieran, how are we doing today? Oh, Mr. Byron, don't ask questions that you don't want to know the answer to. You know, I've had a shit start to 2023, but I'm excited to be here. Tonight's going to be a good one. I'm here with my best mate, got a pint, the Mar- we've got two class films, so it's going to be good, yeah. It's the Mark Ruffalo derby. It is, yeah. Um, something that may make things worse, we will get straight into, to kick things off, the IMDB game. Things yeah, go have uh, gone up a level since last time. You can't hear it now, but there is a theme song <laughs> these days. Good. We had a Christmas-themed one last time, a bit easier. Now we've pit two years against each other. Okay. And this week we're doing 2002 versus 2012. Okay. 2012 was a prime cine card year, so you yeah. should be well-versed. Wait, wait. Films from 2002 versus films from 2012? Yeah. Okay, you cool. tell me which has the higher IMDb rating. Fine, cool. All right, yeah, yeah. And it's the biggest week yet because there's 10 to go through Jesus. because there was too many good films, essentially, that Fucking I wanted enough. to mention. Okay. So... We will kick things off. Toby Maguire's Spider-Man nice. versus The Hunger Games. Spider-Man. Come on. Spider-Man 7.4 to The Hunger Games 7.2. Nice. Good. Okay. Good. Good, 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 good. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets mm. versus The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. Um, uh, uh, probably The Hobbit. The Hobbit 7.8 to a 7.4 for Harry mm, Potter. Okay. Do you remember that weird thing that The Hobbit was shot in where it, you couldn't work out if it was animated or if it was normal? Yeah. They, so, they really fucked up there. So a film that got panned for doing the same as that was Public Enemies with Johnny Depp. Yeah. Michael Mann was shooting with the same technology and people were just battering it for just being look for just looking really weird. Yeah. Public, uh, is, that's the one where he's that gangster who shoots yeah, up that bank, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, yeah, okay. We did that two weeks ago. Um, yeah, The Hobbit. They I, Why did they CGI the orcs and stuff, man? Like, I, I, anyway, that's a, that's a different pod. Well, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, yeah, versus that. The Dark Knight Rises. Ooh, shit. Um, oh, wait, The Dark Knight Rises? Yeah, these are always going to be close. The Dark Knight Rises. Um, no, Lord of the Rings is better than Dark Knight Rises. Correct. 8.8 yeah. 8 to 8.4. Three for three so mm, far. Good start. Nice. Eight Mile mm-hmm. versus Prometheus. Film that split opinions. Yeah. Uh, I liked it. Eight Mile, though. Eight Mile, 7.2 to Prometheus, 7.0. Nice. I'm smashing this. Prometheus was where they had uh, the weird lad, um, Take Me Home, Country Road, was on the on the radio in Prometheus. He's he like doesn't, the one thing doesn't they, he sing it at the end before he dies? The, I think he does, uh, yeah. Captain, it's like the yeah. one thing they had left on the uh, whatever transmission mm, <laughs> they, were, mm-hmm. they were getting. Uh, phone Booth. Yeah. Arguably the film that made Colin Farrell. Mm. Uh, yeah. Versus Lawless. Uh, um, uh, Lawless? Correct. 7.2 to a 7.1. If we were in a normal week, you'd have gone five for five, but unfortunately there are five What's left. What's the prize? 
Nothing, just a pat on the back from you. Yeah, I'll exactly. Take it. Um, Ice Age versus Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, Wreck-It Ralph? Correct. 7.7 <laughs> to a 7.5. Have you seen Wreck-It Ralph? I have, yeah. I haven't. Is there a second one? There is, yeah. I haven't seen the second one. I've seen the first one. And I don't even think I've seen all the Ice Ages. There's about eight of no, them. No, I watched Wreck-It Ralph 2 at the cinema, and it's one of them where if you're not going with a kid, yeah. you look like you <laughs> should want... make eye contact with any kid. Like... <laughs> Just yeah. sit down, yeah. maybe come in late. You sit in there, readjust your glasses. Like if you're People wondering early, why you're not watching the screen. Yeah. Why are you here so soon? Yeah. Uh, six for six, come on, let's go. Catch me if you can, this Life of Pi. Uh, I will say Life of Pi because of the CGI. All good things come to an end, unfortunately. <sighs> 8.1 for Catch Me If You Can. I was surprised Life of Pi wasn't higher. Yeah. Considering how I thought Life was. of Pi was quite, um, yeah, like revolutionary. And yeah, all I that. went to that um, fancy cinema in Cheltenham and yeah. they were showing a trailer for Life of Pi at, um, on one of the one of the ends. On the- it's, it's in a theatre production. Yeah. And there's some bloke whose job it is to just hold a thing up with a line on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like move back and forth. Yeah. Um what was it? Um what was special about it in the in the Charlton one? Was it like four D or something? No, it was uh, all like, like plush seats and uh, got the actual So I watched Babylon the there and um yeah. Alex booked actually the Christmas present. And all of the front I row, said to you that's what Alex yeah, is gonna get yeah. you. I yeah and you were like no no that's too much. They're essentially like uh long sofas basically mm. so I watched Babylon enjoyed it I drifted off for like this this yeah. most split second if if I was watching any film there I for three hours yeah that's the price of comfort I'd, I'd have drifted and um, I let out what was like <laughs> like a cartoon style snore oh, it was right, a proper like I thought you were going to say something else <laughs> like that <laughs> yeah and I had to look around like did anyone see me Peppa Pig-esque and I just had yeah. to do like a a little laugh and I said to Alex I wasn't bored honestly it was just like you know, yeah. I thought you were joking I've been like, there on the tube many a time where you you can feel yourself drifting off and you don't care but there's another 30 people staring at you and then suddenly you realise when you're snoring that you do care I've always said on here before I always do that on the coach and if I know I've snored um, <laughs> yeah. I laugh after just so everyone knows like I'm in on this joke <laughs> yeah. as well you're, you're, you're not, not laughing at me you're me. laughing with me yeah, yeah. Uh, Star Wars Episode 2 Attack of the Clones versus <sighs> Ted uh, Ted 6.9 to 6.6 in Ted's favour mm-hmm. the born identity Ted was good uh, let me yeah. have, let me ask you that because you don't like Family Guy do you? Uh, more attuned to it now um, yeah. I think South Park did well in the early years of me watching it to pit it so you essentially uh, yeah. have to choose it is Team South Park or Family Guy that is true and South Park make a point of that as well yeah that's South what I mean South Park send for Family Guy quite um, a lot yeah but, yeah, but Ted, you like Ted. Well, yeah, there's a clip of Ted 2 that always comes up. And I know it was battered, Ted 2. But there's the clip of... Uh, Ted 2's um, Seyfried, isn't it? Amanda Seyfried. Yeah, they just sack off Kunis for, like, no reason. Yeah, there's a clip of her talking about F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah. And them asking why you're saying fuck him. And it kills me every time. When I scroll past it on the timeline, and then they keep to why are you saying F him? Like, so on. Uh, uh, but other uh, than yeah. that, the film, entirely unmemorable. Yeah, I first can't, one I can't great. remember. I know that I've watched it. I just can't remember. We what did happens. the first one on the third season of Movie Madness when we did comedies. Superbad, Emerging Victorious. Mm. Uh, oh, Superbad's better than Ted for sure. Yeah, yeah, so, for sure. I think Ted may have gone out first round. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, so the Born Identity versus Skyfall. Skyfall. <sighs> Skyfall 7.8, Born Identity 7.9. Ooh, okay. And yeah, finally, okay. Ali G in the house versus Project X. Ali G, surely. You'd be surprised. <laughs> 6.2 Ali G. Really? To 6.6 for Project X. 6.6 sounds right for Project X. I thought Ali G would be at least a 7.7. I don't know if I've actually told the story on here before of how we got our Project X interview. Um, I reached Instagram him? Well, I reached out to him yeah. and he politely declined. He was yeah. like, look, I've done the Project X thing Yeah, you now. said he's not in that space in his yeah. life anymore, yeah. And I said, okay, no problem. Uh, and he said, I have interest. What was Project X against? Mm. And I said it was against Borat, and we unanimously picked Project X. And he came back saying, Borat's What better. the fuck? Borat is 10 <laughs> times better than Project X is. Yeah. And we just kind of started chatting from there. And he was like, Oh, fuck, I've spoken about I'm, it enough times before. Yeah. I can speak about it again. And so, for anyone that hasn't seen it, like the first half an hour, 40 minutes is him talking about like yeah. just the state of America at the moment, yeah, like, yeah. right at the height of COVID. Then we speak about Project X for like an hour and a half. And then for about half an hour before we finish, it's just us talking about comedy films and him yeah. talking about like the death of comedy and mm. why you haven't had a good comedy since Superbad and all this and so on and so on. Um, they, I've also got a they skin were and about a the, um, They were saying about the Superbad sequel. I, can't, I don't know who, who it was that said it. It might have been Jonah Hill, but he, he said that he'd do the Superbad sequel if they're all in a nursing home. Yeah. That would be like the only sequel out, yeah. that he'd do, which I think is good. I, I hate that sequels keep getting made to popular films. Like, so they just, Superbad doesn't need a sequel. Let's no, be honest. No. But there we go. We will move <clears> on. <throat> what did I get there? 8 out of 10? 8 out of 10. I'm happy with no, that. No, 7 out of 10. Oh, right. you picked Ali G over Project X as well. Myself. 7 out of 10. But yeah, we'll no, move on. It. Zodiac is the film we'll kick things off with. Yep. Let's get into it. Boys go around helping people in the night. I'm done with them. They don't need much help. The Zodiac Killer has come to San Francisco. Dear editor, I want you to print this cipher on the front page of your paper. He wants his code in the afternoon edition. The killer is still at large. He's got it in hard suspects. I'm up to around 500. He's hunting humans. He's going to catch this guy or not. He's still out there, Dave. I'm not the Zodiac. And if I was, I wouldn't tell you. Who is this? Between 1968 and 1983, a San Francisco cartoonist becomes an amateur detective obsessed with tracking down the Zodiac Killer, an unidentified individual who terrorizes Northern California with a killing spree. Kieran, the same question I ask every week. Yeah. What do you think the critics thought of this one? I think the critics liked it. Yeah, a fair <laughs> assumption on this one. Yeah, good. It's not as uh, split as some of the previous ones we've done. It's quite so, hard to pan a film if it's based on real events and it's done well. Yeah, yeah. Um, a satisfying hybrid of a journalism yarn, a police procedural and a serial killer flick. Yeah. More than any American movie of the past decade, Zodiac accepts and embraces irresolvability, which may be why it's so hypnotically rewatchable. Mm. A procedural masterwork, unencumbered by action, exploitation, or Hollywood expectations. Yeah. Zodiac is a film that really takes its time, 
but does a masterful job of showing how these killings didn't just destroy the lives of the victims and their families, but how the case became a burden to almost everyone involved. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do really get that. You really get that. And finally, Zodiac is not just a masterclass in filmmaking and storytelling. It's proof that a horror movie does not have to be showy to be scary. Uh, did you think it was scary? I think there's one scene in particular which the, we'll the go basement into. Scene. The basement scene is yeah. one of the the basement scene's very scariest scenes. Yeah, it's unnerving. Yeah, it is unnerving. I wouldn't. I wouldn't class Zodiac as a horror though. It's definitely a thriller. No. I think. Well, even a thriller, it's very rare you can have a nearly three-hour thriller, which is why... I is it three hours? It's two hours and 37 minutes, and it's even longer for the director's cut. I've never seen the director's cut. So, I've watched Zodiac a few times, and I don't. it doesn't no, feel like no. three hours, to be honest. It doesn't drag, does it? No, well, we watched Avatar at the cinema. That dragged. That's that a long film. Uh, yeah. Babylon. That felt like you were drowning, that film. Yeah, Babylon yeah. feels long as well. Um, mm Sometimes it's not even a criticism for a three-hour film to feel like a three-hour film, but I don't think this does. Yeah. Until you look back and like doing the preparation for this and going back and watching scenes and things, yeah, you realise you can you can name ten scenes and then someone can go, oh, I quite like that scene as well. And there's just so much in there. I've always, uh, I was going to say, I've, I've always watched it in one sitting, but then I do that with every film. I'm yeah. not one of those guys that can stop and then go back to a film. But it, yeah, it doesn't feel like three hours. Two uh, two forty-five, you said. Yeah, pretty that's, much. Yeah, that's a lot. Because mm. I think one of the first things to get into is like the actual tone of the film. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. in terms of expectation, this is sold as a thriller, horror, whatever. Like Fincher yeah. does Seven in 1995, Fight Club in 97, <laughs> Panic Room in 2002. Mm. And this was being associated closest to Seven in the build-up as like a grisly murder mystery. I guess. You've, if you've seen Seven and oh, then yeah. you hear David Fincher doing Zodiac, then you kind of put two and two together. But Seven's not... Seven's made up, isn't it? Seven's yeah, not... Yeah, so, but Seven is like as grisly as, yeah. as it gets. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's intensity the right way through this. It gives when it starts. It gives that kind of. Um, it's it's weird to say nostalgia because like we're not American, but when you watch a film that's kind of set, it's the seventies, right? And they've got yeah, right through, yeah. and they've got those you know like the the Chevy cars and stuff, and it's those drive-in diners. Even when I watch films like that, not being American, and not even being from that time period, there's this weird like nostalgia that I get watching films like that and it makes no sense because nostalgia is like you had to have been there and experienced it but it's like that kind of golden age of Hollywood sort of it just 68 to 93 this is set between and right from the start you get what we always describe usually is kind of like it's like when America was the land of milk and honey right Um, you get like the the Call of Duty shop that you'd get at the start of the game where you're sat in the back of the car yeah. and you can effectively turn yeah, and yeah, just yeah, look yeah. out the window. Yeah. You're in control, yeah. And it's them just flexing their muscles, basically. Look mm. at this incredible world we've created. Mm-hmm. And you go down and you've got the fireworks going. It's July 4th, I believe. Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, yeah. And the car, obviously, as you say... Uh, it starts with the, the two murders, doesn't it? Yeah. Straight, so you've, straight away. You've got the outfit that... Uh, Betty, I believe her name was, is wearing uh, Mike Majo gets in the car. And we'll speak about that scene in particular. But yeah. right from the start, they just hammer home this um, uneasiness. And they manage to maintain that the whole way through, where even when mm. uh, Grace Smith and Tosky or uh, Paul Avery 
anything they're doing, even yeah. with the jokes and the more lighthearted stuff, you've just got this une- uneasiness in the background of what's going on. Yeah. Which is hard to maintain because when you said thriller, mm. you couldn't like you couldn't maintain like a saw film. You couldn't do a two-hour heightened the heightenedness of it. Yeah, yeah even I know the what usual mean. like cat and mouse. Yeah, it's very rare. Like very rare that a yeah. film like uh, Heat works without mm. you having these huge set pieces. Well, and I was just thinking. I mean, in terms of if we're going to stick on the Ruffalo vibe, um, Shutter Island is a thriller. Yeah, but that that peaks and dips there's points where you're like oh shit what the hell is going on and there's other points where it, it is kind of dimmer um but yeah that's true zodiac it it which it's, it's it, like a it's not it's not you, you've not got your foot on the pedal all the way through it it's quite laid back i think it's because the characters are so big and so defined because each character is very different yeah. i mean you don't even well it's up for discussion but technically you don't meet the zodiac no um, well, the, the thing they do is anytime, well, even with the killings and even yeah. with the guy in the car who yeah. it's unconfirmed whether that was the Zodiac, mm-hmm. it's a different actor every time just to really drive home the yeah. fact that yeah, yeah, yeah. we don't know who, who this guy is. The part where um, the guy the guy picks up that girl yeah. and her baby, that that to me was more, that part is, is more unnerving than the basement scene personally, just because whenever kids are involved, yeah. it's fucked. Because like, this film starts out and even like, the whole way through is like a police procedural. We see all the yeah. nuts and bolts. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got a newspaper movie, which we're going to do another one in the second part of this. Yeah. And, they are similar in that but vein. But we also avoid all of the cliches of it. It's, there's no showy stuff. There's, there's no one kind no. of the classic, uh, you know, they've come in from a late night, they're ducking under the uh, yellow tape, Come yeah, on, fill me on, fill yeah, me on yeah, what's yeah. happened here. Yeah, and there's nothing, there's none of the whole like sex cells in this at all. It's just the story. But you've got to respect that they did all that because in Hollywood, I mean, essentially a movie is made to make money, right? But when you're doing something and you're basing it off true events, you owe it to the victims, to the families, to the actual nature of the case itself. You owe it to them to produce it properly and not kind of make the film to make money well, I, know, I think anyway I know the the second survivor um, the guy at the lake the one who gets stabbed the one who gets yeah, stabbed yeah, yeah. he was there's two, two guys survived don't they I think Maj- he, Majal yeah and the second but I think the second guy may have died in the meantime whether okay. it was natural or, or yeah, suicide okay. um, but he was well, is around is it just one guy that survived I think it's just one guy that survived well they mentioned but then I know I read an interview I think it's just the guy that gets stabbed that survives no because Mike Majo is the guy who is uh they bring him back at the end of the film. But is that, I thought that's the guy that got knifed up. I think, no, it's the guy from the start. I think he dies. I'm pretty sure he dies. Okay. But he, I don't know, there's so many fucking people dying. The guy from the the lake, they, they brought on board as a consultant and, uh, yeah, he said at first he was very uneasy about it and he didn't make it the whole way through because he said it was just horrible. Um, yeah, that's, but when he, he said that he knew at some point this film was going to be made. And mm. he said after just speaking with David Fincher briefly, he at least was at peace with that. It wasn't being sensationalized. It Good. was very yeah. much yeah, yeah. true to it. And there's a reason we only see the two killings properly because they're the only ones that have been completely corroborated. The mm. one from the taxi, we don't know entirely what happened. Yeah. We've got the aftermath and the eyewitness just, yeah, afterwards. Yeah. The kids that saw it, yeah. So that's what really makes the film like authentic. It, we don't have a single car chase. We don't have a single no. shootout. 
Um, we don't have like a, a, a false climax. Yeah. It literally is just following the method. Yeah. The whole way through. Exactly. They they don't pour sugar all over it. it this is this is what happened. This they haven't. Yeah. Hollywood has to be Hollywood. Here but. they give us times, days, dates, which just kind of underline how long this stretched out. Mm. The preparation for this essentially was David Fincher and you read how crazy this guy is. Mm. The preparation was essentially him seeing if he could figure out who the Zodiac was. And I think, but then uh, I, th- I think a lot of people have done that. Like, t- were you not trying to figure it out watching the film? Do you know yeah, what I mean? I mean? Like it's cause it bugs, it bugs me that I don't know who it was. I think it's, um, what's his name? Arthur Allen, isn't it? Lee. Well, that's who, that's, we'll get onto that. Yeah, yeah. He's the main suspect. And I think when you, when you look at everything, it does, it does seem like that's your guy. But at the same time, there was three or four other people and you're like, it could be this fucking the guy. Group. The guy from the start did survive, by the way. That is the guy, but at the end, Mike Majot. I thought Mike Majot was the one that got stuck up. No, I got a year. I don't know. Um, I don't know. He was shot four times. And he lives. Yeah. That's all they bring him back at the end. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I thought that was the guy from the lake that got brought back. Nah. Okay, all right. Um, so they they hired a private investigator. Yeah. That was the, the start. The first thing they used the budget for was to hire a private investigator to track him down, to try and get him on board. He was interviewed about this. And these kind of things are mental, by the way, because usually when we have a bar pick, it's so spotlight. Yeah. These guys did the TV tour of, you know, it's so great, Mark Ruffalo's playing me and so on and so mm. on. This, you're tracking a guy down to ask him about the single most traumatic experience <laughs> of his life. Yeah. And then you're asking him if he's going to attend the premiere. And yeah. he said, well, I don't really want to experience that again. Like, no. Why, <laughs> why no. would I want to? No. They track him down because they wanted it to be as accurate as possible. Um yeah, I mean, they. To be honest, though, they couldn't have made the film without him being involved, could they? Because you just can't. Surely, so morally, the entire film is basically it's based around the book, uh, Grace Smith's book that he's yeah, writing in yeah, this, yeah. which is why at the end, which we'll get to, because it's based on you know something that actually happened, and yeah. then obviously his version of events, and then they made the film on top of that. Well, yeah, so it's like term, three layered in terms of Finch's attention to detail there's a documentary around the making of the film and they go to Lake Berryessa to shoot the murder scene mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they actually shot that murder scene in the exact location yeah, isn't it it's all shot in the exact locations isn't it so uh, even the taxi killing yeah there's one part where essentially some trees oh, right, okay. weren't no so some trees weren't there and to make sure they shot at the same location, Fincher flew in trees Fuck. to get them in the exact Fuck. place. Yeah, um, but that's the kind of level that you need to go to if you're going to do something justice where people well, have fucking died. Well, here, in, in terms of his attention to detail, they're going down to the site and the investigating officer from the time, uh, Narlo, his name was, takes them and says, look, this is where it happened. And Fincher actually points out, due to the research he's done, <laughs> are you sure it wasn't over there? Yeah. And he has to embarrassingly say, you're actually right. Wow. And they move location because of how wow. much he's read and pictured. And I all rate of this. it, man. I rate it. If you're going to direct something which involves, has a real impact on people's lives, you need to know your shit. I rate it. So we see the murders, as you say, almost both of them right at the start. We see one and then there's a short break. Um, I think... So you've got the title sequence and stuff. Yeah, I think we then see the first... 
Zodiac letter and then it says one and a half months later and then we see the second one. It's quite hard to it's quite hard to keep track of when the letters come in and when what, yeah. with the time frame. I think I think the sec I think the letter comes in after the second murder, but I might be wrong. Well so much of it Oh no it doesn't, no, because he sketches on the car for the second yeah. murder, doesn't he? Because so much of it is us sitting in a newsroom or a bar yeah. and not a lot happening, but it yeah, still yeah, yeah. grips us like yeah, that. Yeah, it does. So the first murder, the boy and girl driving off together, Independence Day date. Mm. Right from the start, we see a couple of things are off. Um, what usually is kind of this nice romantic uh, thing. We hear that she's a married woman. Yeah. He's a nervous wreck right from the start. Like he was yeah. getting in the car to doesn't, He doesn't really want to be there, does he? No. Yeah. The murder victim's costumes were meticulous recreated from forensic evidence to make sure they had everything spot on mm. and that opening scene it's probably that scene is probably scarily accurate to how it actually played out I imagine that it's very similar it's so good that yeah. that first scene with the slow build they give you um, the kind of false dawn with the fireworks going off and the yeah, kids are come on get out of here he jumps yeah. and then the car coming down and it's one of them where you're screaming at the TV. Get the fuck just, out of there. Why aren't you what going? What are you doing? Yeah. And like, sh- a shag is not worth it. A shag is not worth on. this. Come on, get the radio me. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've got Hurdy Gurdy Man coming through, which has been in my head since last Sunday when I watched yeah. the film. <laughs> Turn the radio up and he goes away. Okay, now get out of here. Mm. Doesn't happen. Comes back. Yeah. And then it kicks in. I mean, jumps. I guess that is the horror element, isn't it? Horrors, yeah, in horror films, they, they shit you up at the start and then you're like, actually, it's calm. Yeah. And then they fucking... It's nice the way you. that it transfers from the car radio to playing kind yeah. of just as, as the soundtrack. Yeah. It's just so slow and deliberate. And so even in the murder scene, it's playing out like the rest of the film. It's just like really calculated and well done. The murder scene itself, um, the death is slow. Well, that's even true as well in that he makes a noise and he comes back to shoot them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He f- puts a flashlight back on them and yeah. then checks. Because in most in most films, if someone gets shot, they're dead pretty quick. Like, apart from, you always get it in films where they do CPR and they bring the person back in like <laughs> 10 seconds. But when someone gets shot in a film, it's pretty much, you look at any James Bond film, he shoots them once yeah. and then they're gone. But that is slow. She's like, she's writhing and stuff and she's he, up against the wind. Oh, yeah, he was hit with four bullets. She was hit with five. Um, she actually ends up in real life further out of the car. She actually managed really? to get out. She got and he, opened it and stuff. Yeah, and he mm. ended up in the position where he's He's found. laying against the car, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. Um, awful, man. It's it's like the opposite. How old were they? Like eighteen, seventeen, and eighteen. I believe. Fucking hell! Yeah, it's yeah. it's unlike seven, and they do set that out from the start. Where with both the murders, there's like there's no flair to it at all. No, there's no. It's just even for the second murder, the camera mm. is just almost just placed on the floor, mm-hmm. and it's just stationary, and that makes it even more unnerving with how it's shot. It's it's like it is just like hunting an animal, which is part of one of the themes. It's just you know, I, I think. People that, uh, you know, people that kill animals, as in they do that to eat and to survive, they'll do it as a meal. I know there are people that glorify killing. You get these fucking dickheads that puts photos on Instagram of them with deer heads and lion heads and shit. But I think a lot of people, like, we're not used to it because we go to the the supermarket, we buy buy chicken, but 
like it is it's filmed like that where it's just like another another killing it's nothing because to a psychopath it i i don't know it's it's not necessarily the act of killing that well i guess it is the act what? of killing that they enjoy but it's more it's more the fact that they like taunt it and stuff afterwards i guess i don't know i guess the second one is, um, is just so void of emotion i saw it described as just yeah. objective with just how the camera is there's yeah. there's there's zero score at all on the second yeah. one um, you can so the screams from her in particular just like pile through even more. The second one's the lake one. Yeah, where you don't see, you actually up. don't you don't see who gets stabbed first. He, he does. gets stabbed first, does, and then yeah. she watches it, and then he moves on to her, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, and then he, he puts her on her side, and it's in she's stabbed in the yeah. stomach, and he's being stabbed in the back, and then you see his face just go down. Um, That's he, so, it's just so insane. He in real life, they keep shouting for help. People just think they're joking. Really? And he is able to get himself up mm. and he gets about 300 yards and he collapses on the road in front of a truck who brings them back. They managed to get a fisherman, I think it was, an old fisherman who was going past. Yeah. And they yell out essentially what's happened. And the fisherman basically says... Well, fuck that. If there's a guy with a knife on the loose, I'm not coming over there. Yeah. I'll go and get help. Yeah. I'm not getting off my boat and docking here. Yeah. And so obviously he survives. She dies, I think, three days later in hospital because of her wounds. Mm. One of the greatest strengths, I think, of the whole scene is he can look as ridiculous as he does. He's got this brown, <laughs> this black-like cloak over his head. He's got plastic glasses on top. <laughs> He's the zodiac got um, symbol the zodiac chest. symbol. He looks like uh, yeah, as if you're it's, a kid and you're dressing up as like a knight to go jousting. <laughs> yeah. That's what he looks like. Yeah, he looks like um, the Riddler out of the new Batman. And that's it's entirely so from the uh, description he gave. Yeah. And there's a sketch in the book of how he looked. And that's literally it. And yeah. the way they do it for that to not look—that's the famous sketch where he looks like Ted Cruz. But yeah, yeah. But you don't you don't laugh do you, when you see no, it. No, the way no. it's done where. Again, you're shouting at the TV. He's facing the other way. And she's going, I think there's someone over there. And he's like, oh, well, of course. I mean, we're at a lake. Mm. Like, it's a public place. So, yeah. Well, he's looking over here. I mean, we're good looking people. Why, why yeah. are they not looking over <laughs> yeah. here? Would you, yeah, but would would you not react in the same way? I, I don't know. I'd, I'd probably be more paranoid, to be fair. So, something, one of the few uh, things that yeah, does seem to have been changed is um, there was actually no suggestion that they were a couple. Like, they were just, he claims they were just friends. Yeah, well, I read an interview with him, and how many friends do you know? A boy and a girl that go to d- down to a <laughs> lake together. Like, come on! But even with um, he gets some stick because there's an interview with him, and he's talking about it, and he always says her and the girl and she, and it's kind of it's probably disassociating from again the most traumatic thing you're ever going to live through. You're going to repress some certain things, yeah. But even just the contrast of how those are shot, what, maybe the, it's... The fact that he doesn't say her name. Yeah. Mm. Even just, it may be that it's another murder on, like at this point, yeah. it's not as frantic for him. It is just more by the book, like I've done this before now. That's what it's... I honestly sword. think that one... To it. I mean, so the, the first murder where they're in the car... And they're shot. At least I know the car drives past and drives back, but at least it's quick in the sense that you don't know, you don't really understand what the hell's going on. Suddenly there's a guy at your windscreen with a gun and yeah. you get, you know, shot. But the fact that they're tied up 
to watch someone get stabbed whilst you're tied up, well, knowing that you're next, is insane. He he explains that at the point when he's been tied up, he's handed his wallet over. Yeah, oh, he, he said, does, and he he doesn't he offer to like drive him somewhere no, as he, well. He, he puts he, his head down and he says he goes to tie his legs and he says, "I mean, it's it's going to be cold out here. What are we going to do?" Yeah, yeah. And yeah, he yeah. said in real life, he just put his head down like get this over with and now I've got to work out how I'm going to get home. Mm. He said it wasn't even within the realms of possibility. He said that he had a, he'd seen he had a gun, which makes the stab yeah, even weirder. Yeah, the weird. knife appears out of nowhere. Um, yeah, that yeah. He was kind of like, okay, he was scaring us. He's got what he wants. Because mm. he shows the bullets and the gun, doesn't he? And yeah. then he doesn't get shot and you're he like, okay, these guys robbed. are going to survive. Yeah. And he takes out that whatever, however fucking long that I don't even is. think he takes the cash. So it's literally, he just wanted to kill someone. Yeah, it's insane. I don't know. It's it's got to be like a power psyche thing in that in that guy's head. I don't know. Fincher added all of the blood digitally in the murder scenes. There's mm. no makeup or anything in there. That's interesting. Is there a reason for that? Not that I could find. Weird. All right. Um, in terms of the pacing, as we say, so two hours thirty-seven for the regular cut. Yeah. It. It's tough usually to keep people interested for this long. Like there's some people that won't watch their Lord of the Rings and there's far more yeah. going on in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like they never allow you to get too high or too low in this because if they send you on the roller coaster and then it just goes back to being a methodical grind, then you're, it would yeah, work. You're worn out, you're done it with it. It just kind of unnerves you. It almost like chips away at you more than it does kind of take you to a place. Yeah. If there's some insane level of action within the first hour and then from then on it dips, I guess I guess you can feel you can feel that you've got to that point and you're like I guess it depletes you. But I mean it's like I said, I didn't realise it was that long, but like that it that does make sense. If if you peak too soon, as is as is the case yeah. in most things in life, the rest of it is shit, I guess. So. Even something you kind of adjust to, like the colour palette they use, like mm. at the start they got this kind of like bluish hue mm. on there going through when they're at the lake it's like a yellowy tint like everything's happy here everything's so nice yeah I think then, again that's that nostalgia feel it's just everything's milk and honey and pretty and nice it's America the land of the free and all that yeah, it's almost like a brown kind of hint smudge whatever you want to call it near the yeah. end of the film just as he just kind of descends the film's generally quite grey isn't it yeah. really throughout because this was never going to be an easy one to transfer to film, despite like the violence that there is, the publicity, the investigation, all of it. The breaks in real life came really slowly. Yeah. There was never a clear progression. It was never, it picked up steam. It was, okay, we've got this couple of bits here and then nothing. Do you think in terms of um, the stretch of the film though, like I've only ever watched it, in the comfort of my own home where I'm relaxed and comfortable. Do you think if we'd watched it in the cinema, do you think we'd have come out and been like, that was fucking long? It did horrible at the cinema. Really? Well, for one, the name doesn't really give yeah, much away. I don't know what, okay. Yeah. Um, the runtime, obviously. Mm. So this became a hit really when it transferred to TV yeah. and film, which happens a lot with um, Cult Fincher stuff. stuff. Yeah. But, if anything, really, the most cinematic part of the story is the red herrings, mm. like the the phone in. Yeah, the breathing. That, that wasn't actually the Zodiac. No, that was a guy who eventually, and they don't 
tell you this in the film, I think. The guy is... He's in a mental health institute. Yeah, he's tracked down. Yeah. So when they're saying, we're not tracking your calls, I promise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they track it no, to a mental institution. Um, yeah, he's in a mental health in- institution, yeah. So we get like a 15, 20 minutes, don't we? <laughs> How do you know? <laughs> you would expect that, right? Because yeah. you're assuming that this number's been made public. You're going to get people that want to jump in on so it you've like. got what do you say do you have any new suspects and he's like yeah 500 every hour mm. and so they do dedicate some time to the fact that they have all these different pathways they're going at and they use that as a bit of a comedic scene don't they yeah because there's the there is drag artist there who's talking about what cutting off her arms or wrists she's or something like, she's like I'm sure I'm sure he cut off the hands yeah. are you sure he, yeah they're, when they're trying to frame yeah. everyone else basically yeah, there is there is comedy in it. There's not a lot of comedy in no. it, but there is there's definitely comedy in it. We, I think most of the comedy comes from Gyllenhaal, doesn't it? Yeah, there, there's a couple of scenes with Gyllenhaal and uh, Danny Junior where they kind of oh remind, yeah yeah and we'll speak about them in a just uh, a second. yeah see yeah I want to talk about him in yeah. this film because yeah it's <laughs> you just get this like battle with facts at the start and then the dead ends and then the kind of terrified okay we might get there. Mm. And then again, we just kind of end with helplessness. And also the frustration at how hard it is to actually um, prosecute someone. Yeah. Well, it the just half- seems like you need so much evidence just to take someone to fucking court. The second half of the film is just one man's obsession yeah. um, with yeah, finding yeah. the truth. Um, yeah. We, we kind of follow the information as we get it. And I think that's why it works with the way Fincher did it. So you said about the three characters really mm. this is more of a character study than it is a study of the Zodiac because we yeah, don't Zodiacs, know how much you, is the Zodiac you, yeah exactly and also like how much of the Zodiac in real life um, he becomes almost like this uh, this myth he's, he's, he's this legend and everyone kind of adds their own input into it and it becomes almost like you know it's like Jack the Ripper became larger than life like the Zodiac yeah. I mean, we weren't living during that time, but I imagine at that time he was larger than life in San Francisco. He was just like this myth. Well, we we end the film knowing more about Robert Graysmith than we do the Zodiac. Yeah, it is is his film, I guess. Um, a couple of tidbits of trivia: Robert Graysmith and Paul Avery weren't friends. That relationship is just fictionalized for films. As in, what they never met. They met, but they just they weren't friends. Like they they didn't have this oh. buddy relationship. I like um, their relationship. That's, I, oh, that's a shame. I quite like the idea of an I'm not Paul Avery badge after. Yeah, that's after amazing. It is amazing. Um, and the fact that he wears it is what yeah, makes it so yeah. good. Another thing with the uh, attention to detail, um, David Fincher felt that Jake Gyllenhaal's hands were too hairless and pretty and so he digitally yeah. added hair to his right. hands. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this is, this is something that I wanted to comment on. <laughs> Gyllenhaal is... Such a good-looking man, you know. We can say that as two heterosexual, they look reasonably similar. When I saw a side by side, yeah. But we, I mean, uh, he's an extremely good-looking <laughs> yeah. man. And when you watch this film, it's the same as um. So, I I think that in in this film, I think that a person that could play that role is Toby Maguire, and I'm only going there because it leads me on to another thing, which is. You know when Andrew Garfield played Spider-Man? Yeah. And you just think Spider-Man's meant to be a bit of a loser, right? He's this kid at high school that no one really likes. He keeps to himself. He's just a nerdy a nerdy kid that like no one really takes notice of. Andrew Garfield is not that guy. <laughs> no. Like Andrew Garfield's an extremely attractive man. He's not going to be at some high school with no one taking notice of him. And you look at this with Gyllenhaal where he's a similar 
basically a similar sort of character. He keeps to himself. He's a cartoonist. Gyllenhaal would sweep up. Like, he's just... Well, usually if they do this in films, they give them a pair of glasses and then they take them off and they're like, oh my God, he's so good looking. I never knew this. Yeah, exactly. You're just watching it throughout the entire film and you're just thinking... I mean, when did this film come out? 2007. Right, and he looks no different now. Do you know how he got the role as well? So ultimately he goes through an audition process. Yeah. Um, Fincher spoke to Jennifer Aniston and said, <laughs> can, you re- can you recommend me some actors? <laughs> she just and she said, all him. she said, I can't say how they'll fit for the roles, but just two people that I genuinely enjoyed working with. Yeah. Mark Ruffalo <laughs> and Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. And they both end up getting the role. I mean, Mark Ruffalo is, is fantastic in it. They're, they're all We're they're all amazing. They're all amazing in it. I just think it's just so frustrating watching that film, knowing that Gyllenhaal. It, it's just like he wouldn't just be this nerdy little yeah. shy quiet cartoonist. Like if you've been given that gift set, do you know what I mean? If we discuss kind of the newsroom in general and the element we have here right from the start, yeah, it's very well done. The way they have the kind of shot with the uh, like the mail trolley coming through, mm. and then. We're introduced to Gyllenhaal Hall as the cartoonist. Paul Avery's there, and then the lady came comes in and says, "You really need to see this." Rush to editor. Yeah, yeah. And then, rather than doing the whole, we have to act now. They're kind of a bit as you would be. Well, is this serious? They don't realise how the gravity the of the situation yeah. at that point. Yeah, he sends them those three codes, doesn't he? You would just be like, "What the fuck's going well, on?" Even the fact that. Chilean Hall's able to get a copy of it just yeah. that quick to go and start working things out. They have a bit of chatter. Is he- so did that happen? I mean, I guess that happened in reality then. I guess so it, yeah, because it, it is weird that a cartoonist would be this involved in. I a think he just kind case, of worked his way through. He just mm. he kind of wormed his way into meetings and yeah, spoke to the right people. But he's in the background for a lot of it. It's only when it mm. becomes really public he kind of takes it of his Se- own accord. Second half is he is doesn't his really show, do yeah. anything for the case, does he? He's essentially no. on Paul Avery's shoulder. So I imagine mu- much of that didn't actually doesn't happen. start conducting his own research until like the second half. Well, even if like he may have got the paper through. and started working it out, but for a lot of it, it's yeah, it's kind of a, an amalgamation. He's just picking up the scraps. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. But those newsrooms bits are good. Um, yeah, just from reading, they say that's quite right in that this thing happens and you've got an empty office because people are only coming in when it's time for the deadline and they're typing up their story well those those scenes uh, mirror very very similarly to the scenes in Spotlight yeah they are very similar and they're smoking in there they're drinking in there yeah yeah well it's all Paul Avery stuff isn't it yeah yeah so we've got Gray Smith He's on the staff when the cipher arrives. He's like a new kid at school. He's kind of in with all the big boys here and he can't believe what he's hearing. And he was like a Boy Scout or whatever, isn't it? That's like yeah. such a yeah. huge thing in America. We don't really have that over here. He's, you know, he's like an Eagle Scout or something yeah. like that. But um, did they do all that sort of shit, like cracking codes and stuff? Well, I imagine that everyone was kind of doing their bit. It's a huge story that's being in the middle of the paper. Well, it was put out in the paper anyway wasn't it the yeah. actual cipher yeah i mean would you i i do <laughs> everyone i would, do crosswords yeah and i do sudoku and whatever but 
that, it must have been quite hard. Well, the person that cracked it, it was a, like yeah, a four-year-old teacher. A couple, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. he cracked it so fast that he became a suspect. He was on the suspect well, list. Well, you months. would. Yeah. yeah, you would. Yeah, Because yeah. the police were like, we can't you find would. anyone else. How did yeah. you work this out so quickly? You would. It's the same as um, anyone who reports a murder. This is just a, a little fact for all you spitballing <laughs> listeners out there. Anyone that reports a murder is automatically a suspect. Because you are. Because if you're the first person at the scene... Why the fuck are you at the scene? And also it's like, oh, I'm being really clever. I'm at the scene yeah. and I'm declaring it. Oh, I can't be the murderer. Like the, the, the police see through that shit. And so, so just declaring a murder, yeah. you're a fucking suspect. And so among all this kind of grisly stuff we get, they just build this relationship between Jill and Hall yeah. and Downey Jr. who are Which both, is all great, by the way. Yeah, and they're both extremely charismatic as it is. And so the start of the film... Is, so, is many, kind of, so many of these fucking actors end up in Marvel. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah is kind of just carried on their shoulders because yeah. they need to give us all the dirty work and all the procedural to tee up the end when he's just obsessed by the whole thing. Yeah. And so this is a good way of kind of getting in. We've got the bar scene with them together where he's kind of ripping on his drink and then they go down yeah, this rabbit drink, hole together. It, yeah. Um he what well, we'll get let's get into Downey Jr. first. Obviously very good in this Danny Jr. This is kind of when you watch this, when you watch this back now, it feels like he's doing a Tony Stark impersonation, <laughs> yeah. and obviously he's not. This is pre Iron Man. This is him mounting his comeback. Yeah. This is yeah. really what yeah. kind of cements. But this is it, isn't it? So he, not to be wanky and do the quote, but he is Iron Man. Like he, he is, he is, he is the perfect person to play Iron Man, or we've just basically become acclimatised to the idea of Iron Man being Robert Downey Jr. But the two are very, very similar. Like, his character as Avery is... Ext- so either Paul Avery as a person was extremely yeah. similar to Tony Stark or um, Robert Downey Jr. is just, like, going to... Ba- he basically play himself in whatever films he does. Yeah, he does Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, I think, the yeah. same year as this, where he's... he's it's his Robert comeback. Downey Jr. plays Robert Downey Jr., yeah, well, yeah, he does in a lot of films, but then I think later on in his career. So, like, have you watched the um, the Sherlock Holmes ones, the yeah, Guy Ritchie? Yeah. Like that. Have he, you watched them recently? No, not recently. I like They've them. Though. Watch them. Re- watch them again. <laughs> I, I'm excited for the third one. I want the third one to come out. But um, in and what's the other one that he does? Doolittle. Yeah. So in those sort of films, he's doing like character acting, but in Definitely in this film, it feels like either Paul Avery is insanely similar to Robert Downey Jr. or, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is just saying the lines. However, I I think he's fucking great in this. He is. He is. And the actors, so say you saw the three of these in public. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I'd be the guy to really approach them anyway, but I'd feel Ruffalo and Gyllenhaal seem perfectly approachable. I know it's part of his shtick. Downey Jr., the more you read, the more he does seem like a massive prick. He's had a very troubled past, yeah. Yeah, uh, let's. I think sometimes we excuse. <laughs> on the set of this film. <laughs> on the set of this film. <laughs> yeah. No, you can call. If, a, if someone's a prick, then call him a prick. But give me, the, give me the, film, uh, the reasons. He started just leaving jars of piss <clears throat> all over set to. Yeah, that's weird. Kind of stick it to Fincher because he didn't like you know the famous thing with Fincher he has like 60 takes of every single scene he didn't like that he was doing so many takes 
No. And so he, he said, would just leave him, oh, as if to say, I don't get, I don't get a bathroom break. So he said, no, no. He said, uh, <laughs> that's weird. He said he rebelled against him. He said, having no, I had no time to get my shit together in my trailer. And so he was hiding mason jars full of urine all over set. He finally acquiesced to Finch's demands, recalling, I just decided, aside from several times, I wanted to garrote him, that I was going to give him what he wanted. Where was he getting all these fucking jars from? Who knows? Was it next to like some sort of honey factory? Like, well, why was he just emptying out the same jar? What's maybe. going on? I, I don't, yeah, I mean, if he's hi- he, if he's literally pissing into bottles because he, he actually cannot go no, into the toilet. This is, he said it was his way of expressing his frustration. Uh, yeah, that just sounds like a very passive-aggressive way of being like, you're taking all my time that I can't even go for a shit or a piss. I assume he wasn't shitting in corners. No, well. because like the, the example I would usually use on here was um, Chris Eubank Jr., who does seem to be kind of touching up his image now. Um how is he yeah well, it's gonna I mean it's gonna you back junior does he piss what no so fights or what? it's gonna like, come across like name dropping it kind of is yeah that's grand I got to interview him yeah and he came across as an asshole oh for real and I kind of wasn't too gutted because if anything it just showed me it was authentic like this is just kind of who he is he's the type of celebrity that you look at from afar you appreciate them for what they are they aren't the guy you're going to stop was and the chat interview? to for 20 is uh, over the phone. No, no, no. When? When? Uh, 2019-ish. Okay. Because he actually comes across as quite likable now. Yeah. 2019-ish, I'd say. Yeah. Um, I probably wasn't, probably wasn't a very good interview either. Mm. Um, but yeah, him. Yeah, still I, though. If someone's, I kind if of someone's like, interviewing you, just don't be a dickhead. No, he was just very blunt. It was just very Asked to the measure. and answered. Yeah. Mm. There was no like thank you for your time, all of this. Yeah, that's it was basic. Just, no, that's basic. And Danny Jr., I would put in that same thing, I think. If you well, he had that famous him. interview with, um, what's his name? Your man from Channel 4. Um, Zane Lowe? <laughs> fuck no. Um, <laughs> who he's mean. called, no, 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 he's a news reporter from Channel 4. He is quite a famous Robert Danny Jr. interview and he, he stormed off because um, the guy makes comparisons to him playing Iron Man and Iron Man as a character having alcohol dependency, he makes a similarity between that and our DJ as a person. And I think uh, there might be something to do with his dad in there. I don't know. But basically there's a comment and he doesn't like it. And he just says, right, we're done. We're done. And he gets up and just walks off. Um, It's Chris, it's Chris something or other. Um, He's, he's, Quite, he's a big guy on Channel 4. He, he's a bit bit like the Piers Morgan of Channel 4. But the interview is quite interesting. Um, and this guy, I think this guy prods him just one too many times and he does he does storm off. He just takes the mic off and walks out. So... Well, he's just... He's, I guess he's got that ego, which Tony Stark has. He's very smug as well, isn't he? But I don't think he... I, I mean, he may deny he's a prick, but one of the other things I don't think he would deny... I you know the story about when he got sent to prison? I know he was in prison a lot. He, he was in and out of prison, but where he was caught naked driving a Porsche with a Magnum 357 or something I don't know what fucking stupid names and I think he had like coke in the back of the the car as well and then they just chucked him in prison but he was like literally just naked driving around in LA or somewhere you just think well but I mean I I felt when I was like have you seen him now before. by the way sorry I don't keep going off on tangents but have you seen him now yeah I saw him on Joe Rogan not he's you know he's vegan now 
He looks yeah, he looked he, ill. Yeah, he looks yeah, worse yeah, now yeah, than he yeah. did when he was a drug addict. He he's older looks, now as well. Yeah, like. but he looks poorly. Like, like he's got definitely got iron deficiency, man. That's what he is. Yeah, I did think I had more of a like a dossier on him when mm. I was going to call him a prick. But it's largely, I think, I always kind of thought that and. The Eubank Junior one maybe wasn't the best example, but you look at some of these guys. If and I had you to, kind of if I had to interview one of the three of them, Gyllenhaal, Ruffalo, or Danny Junior, I would take Ruffalo probably. In terms of uh, most, like, Danny Junior is probably the most interesting, but I think Ruffalo would be the most approachable. And yeah, like the, oh, just absolutely. the nicest person. Yeah, Gyllenhaal. I don't think I've never heard anything bad about him in the press. I'm sure there is stuff out there. But no, none, none the last interview I saw of him, he was singing Sean Paul. With Tom Holland. <laughs> oh, really? Well, I mean, none, none of us are perfect, but I think Ruffalo seems pretty, like a pretty decent guy. Like, but I don't, I don't know, these guys are just. Was that a point about Jake Gyllenhaal or, or um, Danny Junior? I said he was singing Sean Paul, and you're like, well, nobody's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> that was his biggest flaw. Um, ultimately, in this film, he does end up being just completely defeated. He just yeah, he's living he, on a boat, isn't he? Yeah, houseboat yeah. by the end, and I think he's on oxygen at one point. Not a bad idea, that. Nice well, little houseboat. I'd quite like to settle on something like that. Yeah. He is the first example we get, really, of someone internally being ground down by the case. Because we see a bit, don't we, with... Yeah, he um, gets old very quickly. Tosky's partner, where eventually he's out. Which one's we, Tosky? Uh, so, uh, that's isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And we see the partner gets ground down, doesn't he? He goes into a different department. And there's the point where uh, Graysmith says, well, if I could just ask him about it, he says, no, you don't mm. contact him. He's out of this. And you can see like how just bringing the case up, it could do the same as what it did to Graysmith, where yeah. he can then cling on to it because he gets something new. Yeah, This is the first person we see who's just properly battered by it. But those early scenes where he's doing the... I'm not Paul Avery stuff when he's then going to the gun range to do it. He's having it revealed to him that maybe it's not so a good it's none idea. Of the, no, uh, I know you do your research around these things. So is the I am not Paul Avery stuff, is that none of that real? So that is, yeah. Oh, great. Just the, the actual... relationship between those two isn't a thing. But the badges are real. Yeah. Amazing. Good. Love it. Um, <laughs> you got to rate it. Yeah. <laughs> you have to rate yeah. it. The fact he's wearing one as well. Yeah, it's so good. Um, yeah, in an intense film, that goes in together. And some of the stuff we have between them, when well, he kind of uncovers that the Zodiac wants to be a thing, when he says... Um, Avery, at the start of the film, definitely, or you know, dur- during the first half an hour, he seems to be the brains behind what gives Graysmith the kick up the arse. Well, he, he's also... At- at the start, it's beneficial to him because he's making his name off the story. He's the leader of all yeah, the yeah, yeah. He's the guy. Yeah, he wants the clout, yeah. And he has the, he says to the um, guy stole his logo off a watch. Yeah. And then Graceman says, how can anybody who's killed 13? He says, he claimed he's killed 13 people, but how many can we actually confirm? There's three in Vallejo, one in Berryessa, the cabbie, that's it. Yeah. And then we get down to it where He's saying, do you know more people die in the East Bay commune every three months than that idiot ever killed? He offed a few citizens, he wrote a few letters and then he faded into a footnote. Yeah. And so just the it's way true, it's he true deteriorates. Though, isn't it? you don't, I don't know what the actual stats are for how many he's killed. He claimed 37, there's five confirmed. So, okay. Yeah, so what's that? Less than a sixth? Yeah, so it is the, the ones that we know about ish. are the ones they reference in the film. So yeah. there's two that happen before 
the Independence Day ones that they weren't able to get all the details for. So that's why they didn't put it in the film. Yeah. Then there's the two uh, that he tries to kill on Independence Day. Mike Majo survives. The girl dies. Yeah. Then there's the two at the lake. The guy survives. The girl dies. And then there's the cabbie. Shit at killing men. Yeah. They reference it in the film, don't they? They say... um, the man survived again or something mm. or only the woman died again or something like that. Weird. In terms of the chemistry we have with them, I think the highlight of it is, uh, and Grace Smith says, he speaks to the guy called Shorty, doesn't he? And he says, does it not bother you that anyone calls you Shorty? And he says, does it not bother you that people call you retard? And he's like, oh, yeah, do, people, it, yeah. do people say that? Yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. <laughs> he says to Avery, does anyone ever call me names? And he's, he's like, what, what, you mean like retard? Yeah, and he's like, yeah, no. Nobody says that. <laughs> yeah. They've got the uh, bit about reading, which is, what do you do for fun? I love to read. I enjoy books. He and the bit the where, he's, where he's in the bar and the oxygen and he's like in the fucking library. He, he taunts him for going to the library, doesn't he? Yeah. Because Grace Smith's more like behind the scenes doing the research in the libraries, whereas I guess Avery was more... Well, he, he met up with... Um, he got the big scoop, didn't he? Because he meets up with that dodgy bloke in... Isn't it in a car park or something? Yeah. He he was more like the investigate investigative journalist where he's going out on the beat, whereas well, for, for Grace Smith, Smith behind the, behind the scenes. He he gets to hang with the kid in the year above is a scent like yeah, for yeah, him exactly. he yeah. it's very cool, cool for him yeah. that he's being brought in on things that he's never he really gets to hang out with Iron Man. Yeah. Well, because every so often someone says, "I thought you were a cartoonist," and mm. he's a bit like embarrassed, like, "Well, yeah, I mm. am, but I'm also doing this as well." Um, Ruffalo is. I don't think Ruffalo plays Ruffalo, but there's a certainly... A- I don't think Ruffalo plays Ruffalo in any films. I think Ruffalo is just fucking fantastic. Yeah. He's a really, really good actor. He kind of does the... Um- like, I actually think he's... I know... It, it, I was going to say he's underrated. He's not. He's the, He plays a fucking Hulk. Winner. Yeah, and he plays the Hulk in Marvel. Like He's not an underrated actor. But like he doesn't get mentioned in the same light as people like... Uh, DiCaprio well, or like Tom Hanks I saw and all someone that. say before that of all of the Avengers yeah. Ruffalo's done the least with what he should what he could have been able to do with it that's just because of the writing so no so I mean in terms of future roles oh as in they, so he hasn't piggybacked off of Marvel no. well none of them have have they what what's Chris Hemsworth done since four yeah he, he Rush done. He's he's done yeah that's a big project in in itself but you look at um, I get their names mixed up uh, Renner God is it a galaxy um, Chris Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt Chris Pratt yeah I mean they did a whole the only reason they were surely doing the Jurassic Park ones was still oh, because of him yeah that's true then you get the ones that he's done with um, Anna Diarmas and Gosling. Uh, the Grey Man the Grey Man oh that's Chris Evans yeah uh, yeah I guess uh, I guess but then uh, what's our DJ done like it's sh- he did what Dr. Doolittle Do- <laughs> Sherlock yeah, Holmes I, guess- I, I don't know what the time timing is a lot of them were even I think Ruffalo was out of them lot from Marvel I think Ruffalo was the strongest actor to go into it I think his his track record as in prior to the Marvel films, was the strongest. I guess you could argue... Could Robert- you build a franchise around Ruffalo? Nah, 
that's this is it. No, I don't think so. This is this is the thing. Rob, Robert Downey Jr. is the poster boy. It, it should be Chris Evans as Captain America, but Robert Downey Jr. is the poster boy for Marvel. Well, Evans and Pratt. If it wasn't for him, Marvel wouldn't be what it is. Simple as that. Evans and Pratt. He petitioned for all of them to get more money as well. They're kind of, and it sounds like an insult. They're kind of plain enough that you can insert name here yeah. with them. Yeah, you're not asking them to do too much. Their no. their face and name carries a lot of it. I mean, they've all had huge careers. It's not Is like Ruffalo's short. I think they're all short. I think they're all short. I think Robert Downey Jr. and Ruffalo Does he just carry it worse. I think they're like my height. I think they're like five seven, five eight. I don't think they're tall people at all. You got Chris Hemsworth is six foot ish, but even like Paul Rudd, I think Paul Rudd's like five seven, five eight. I don't think any of them are tall, tall. They're movie tool. He's probably bigger than Ruffalo going in. That exactly. That's yeah. what I was. I was going to get onto that. Like they, they've all had huge careers prior to Marvel, but I mean Ruffalo and Paul Paul Rudd. I mean, what what was Chris Hemsworth in really before Marvel? Did- because there, there's certain actors that you you hear their name and you're like, oh yeah. And you hear Robert Downey Jr.'s name and you're like, yeah, Iron Man. Yeah. You don't talk about the other films. With Mark Ruffalo, like, I would talk about other films. Did you see honest. Ruffalo's hair for the Hulk and cut yours? No, I didn't. Are you, are you getting onto the comparisons? Maybe. <laughs> we, we, know that, we know that we've had comparisons to me and Ruffalo before. But that purple coat. <laughs> We're not talking about the purple coat. <laughs> Did I tell you about the most recent Mark Ruffalo comparison that I've no. had? It's unbelievable. That she, uh, the, the one where I'm at the ice hockey? No. So I was at the ice hockey with Delaney, who is a friend of the spitballing pod. Yep. Uh, last week. And his missus. Was he? Oh, yeah, the, yeah. the Arsenal stuff. Deadline day. Yeah, yeah. Um, him and his missus and her friends, me, Delaney, I think Mike was there. There was, a, there was a few of us anyway. Um, so we were watching the ice hockey and then we went to this pub afterwards and there's there was this <laughs> there was this girl there that, you know, she's a good looking girl, blonde girl, friends with Flo. And uh, I was trying to just get to know her, get friendly with her. And me and her were talking and it, and it was all fine, it was all fun. And then a few of us went back to mine. So Delaney came back, Flo came back, this girl, her mate and another one of her mates. And when she gets back to mine, she picks up on the Mark Ruffalo, like, reference. She she was like, oh, you look like someone. I was like, oh, I, I don't know who I look like. But I've had I've had a hundred comparisons. I get Andrew Scott all the time. Uh, I get Danny Mays all the time. When my hair was long, I got Kit Harrington. Uh, the fucking most famous one that I know that you love was Mickey Flanagan. <laughs> so these, I'm not being funny. These people do not look anything like each other. So fuck knows what I, I look like. Black curly hair. Yeah, basically. So um, anyway, this girl then picks up on this Mark Ruffalo thing and she just keeps negging me. And I, I don't know whether she either hated me, but she's known me for the space of about three hours, so she can't hate me. Maybe. Or if she was, just, <laughs> or if she was just negging me, but. Imagine Amelia de Moldenberg in your head. That's what this girl was like. So her version of flirting isn't, you know, flirting is is teasing slash being nice to someone. She was just sending for me. She was just going for me every single time I said anything. And she kept making Mark Ruffalo comments. And in the end, 
I mean, we're back at my house and she's been doing this for about two hours. Every comment that I made, she's on me. And in the end, I got pissed off and I literally said to her, what's your fucking problem? And she went, Hulk smash. (laughs) (laughs) And as soon as she said that, I was like, right, I'm done with this girl. And I couldn't speak to her for the rest of the evening. She she just completely played me. Played the long game. She completely played me for the punchline. And it worked because she got the biggest laugh of the night. I mean, it's probably a hindrance for her going that I long. don't know what her game was. I don't know what she was like. I, I don't know why she got in the taxi with us, to be honest with you. I've not heard from her since. I was just having a look at Ruffalo's uh, IMDb. Collateral is supposedly the first thing Fincher saw him in. That uh, He said, oh, I quite like him. What year was that? That's three years prior. I don't think I've seen Collateral. Who's in Collateral? What is it? Tom Cruise. Nope, not seen it. I guess the closest to a franchise he's had outside of Hulk is Now You See Me. Yeah, good films. Filmed just down the road from my house in Teddington, actually. Teddington Lock, which is quite interesting. Second one, not aged as well as the first. Yeah, I can't remember the second one. Oh, no, no second I can't. One Daniel Radcliffe. The, the second Daniel one. Daniel Radcliffe's got, in it. They've got the scene with the playing card. He uh, isn't. Is that the bit where he drowns? Does he drown? No, they're in. The lake? They're in like uh, like a vault or a. Oh yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah. They like dash that card around. around. <laughs> yeah, and it like gets caught up in their like coat pockets. I've seen stuff. some like eight minute video like how this scene's not possible. It's like I didn't need a, yeah. a video to tell <laughs> yeah. me this. Like, I can know that in twenty seconds. Yeah, Shutter Island. He's great in as well. He's very good. Yeah, he um, Ruffalo's a great actor. It's even interesting the way that Ruffalo plays uh, Tosky. Because he doesn't play him as a hot shot detective, no. even though it's kind of insinuated. And I know that was the way it kind of was in the media around that time. Um, but he just plays him as like a dogged detective that's eventually just ground down by the yeah. whole thing. I think my favourite bit is when he meets Graysmith for the second time. And yeah. he says, we met at the movies once. And he says, it must have been must magical. Have been magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But he's really good. Even just the the moment that should have been his kind of grandstand where he's being accused of writing the latest Zodiac letter mm, mm. and Graysmith phones him again. Takes the phone and off he of him. And just slowly, with no kind of grandstand. And that kind of sums up how the film is. That's he's, a, just, he's just yeah. drained. That's a great, yeah, that's a really good scene. The, his wife picks it up, doesn't she? Yeah. Um, yeah, he just takes it off of her and it pans to him. Yeah, that's a really good scene. Really um, good shot. I know there weren't quite the meetings as they're portrayed in the film that kind of connect the dots where he's doing the very film thing of, look, I can't tell you anything about this and I definitely can't tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so like South Park, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but it's a good way of connecting yeah. the dots. It does work. It doesn't feel too cheesy. I like the fact that he's always eating. I wonder if that was real life <laughs> yeah, to Yeah, so that's the thing him. they intentionally did, yeah. Um, the fact that he's just always eating because there's a... There's a very similar scene in um, in Spotlight, which we'll come on to. But I like I like the fact that he's just always eating the it's the animal crackers, isn't it? Is it? It is in this, isn't it? Where uh, he takes the BLT off him and just takes the tomatoes out and puts yeah. them on the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's in that's Zodiac. Yeah, and digs in. Um, they had it in. Um, I know for some reason we keep going into Marvel, but it just that's just. Disney seems to own, yeah. yeah, Disney seems to own everything. They uh, the scene in the first Avengers where it's um, Robert Downey Jr. and Ruffalo, and they're 
they're in the like tech suite and they're trying to work out Loki stuff and there's like food dotted all around the um, the set and apparently that's just because Robert Downey Jr. and Mark <laughs> Ruffalo were just constantly hungry so they were just there's so many scenes where they're eating and it's just because it just happened to be there and they just incorporated it into the scenes and like, I just love stuff like that this is the first film really where we get to see a kind of down the wormhole with Gyllenhaal because mm. he does this a couple of times we see it again in Nightcrawler we see it again in Prisoners yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's Nightcrawler really is, yeah, Nightcrawler is really interesting to compare to this film, actually, because they're like opposite ends of the scales, right? Yeah, he just looks um, frantic. Yeah. And so I know one of the few things that Fincher is criticized for is the way that he directs female roles up until Gone Girl, because uh, Chloe Savini's character in this, uh, Melanie, yeah. isn't given a lot to work with. Um, she's I'm, really good, though. Yeah. I know, I know she's not given a lot to work with, but she's. Because even we would usually, in a traditional film, we would get when he takes the phone call and he's being given the information, she would slam it back on the hook or she would shout at him and say, have you not, you're not going to pay attention to me? You'd get a scene with them in bed tonight. Yeah, but she's just, she's again, just ground down with the whole thing and it's showing again how many people- Yeah, she's exhausted. Even, Even from their first date. Even like from the foot. Well, she doesn't. She well, says. It starts out as a quirk. It's a quirk, like, oh, you're a cartoonist and you were at a gun range. And yeah. This, and it's a. But she her, says the best, coolest first date I've had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, she says later on, she's like, it was a first date that didn't end. I'm pretty yeah. sure that's a quote. And then he's like, you don't mean that. And then that's when she leaves and she takes the kids and whatever. But um, she. She's a. I, I think she's really good. I. She is. She just. There's not much you can do with this. Yeah. I don't think I've seen her in anything else. Well, if Gyllenhaal, he, he's very good at um, looking frantic, and it's Gyllenhaal very, is just very good. Well, it's, yeah, because it'd be very easy to go straight from interested and he's attentive and he's doing all these things and look, I'm on the case and I want to show people how good I am to okay, I'm starting to get worked up by this. And then you get to the point where he's just like, Broken. he needs he needs it more than anything else. He says, yeah. he has the scene where he says, I just need to look, look him, him in the eyes, eyes yeah, and yeah, just yeah. know that it was him. That is my, that's my favourite quote yeah. of the film. That is my favourite quote of the film. And the way he does it to get to that point, because would you say we see him more than any other character in this film? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'd say it's told from his point of view. Yeah. He's, he's the protagonist. And so... He, he's given the scope to have the gradual decline and he does that. And that must be even more difficult in that this probably isn't shot in order. Like, nah. So to do that and to be able to tap into where you were and go right the way through. But it's again, it's the reality of um, sticking true to the text, sticking true to the actual case itself and sticking true to the book that this is based off. Like I said, it's like three layered. Well, the, the, the big thing as to why this took so long is because um, I think it was Fox, I may have that wrong, had the rights to the book previously. Oh, really? And I don't know if you could buy rights to a book. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. With And the way yeah. that they wanted to do it is they were going to Hollywood the ending. They were going to find mm. out who the killer is and you have this big grandstand and the killer's led away in no, cuffs. No, you can't do that. Not when it's real life. You and can't do that. they did it and they did it and they did it and it was just, you know, where they, you always read the script was in development hell. Yeah. And the eventual guy that does the screenplay and I'm going to f- I've forgotten his name um, the guy that works with Fincher I'll get his name in a second he wrote to the author because he'd be just he wrote to what Grossmith 
Yeah, because yeah. he became obsessed with the book when he was younger. And but he said, this is- I promise you that if I ever get the chance, James Vanderbilt, he yeah. said, I promise you, if I ever get the chance, I will do this justice. The killer will not be caught at the end. It's going to be entirely true to your vision. This is the thing with these with these sort of films, though. And also, I mean, with anything that's like publicised that we are aware of as the public, um, it's... No, let me, let, me, let me restart that, where I'm going with it. So I love it in stuff like this where the public, so us become as involved with the case as they can be because basically Graysmith became as obsessed with solving this murder as probably the Zodiac probably even more so than the Zodiac was with killing because like if the Zodiac's killed what confirmed five people Graysmith spent his entire life when he was awake thinking about you know catching this guy and and you see it it happens all the time like you've got um what's did you watch don't fuck with cats yeah so you know you know the people yeah. that just basically hunted down this creep what luca some yeah. other and they just fucking found him because the police wouldn't have no they were like on him they were screenshotting it frame for frame every youtube video working out the links they were on google street view and it's like when the public become vigilantes and they do more than the police can do that's what this Graysmith guy was doing he becomes you know the, the people that were hunting for this this killer on don't fuck with cats they were more obsessed with killing than what than what this guy yeah. was actually doing and you just think because th- this this entire story takes place over the course of about 20 years well yeah so he gets he gets the rights eventually yeah it's um it's released from whichever studio owned it um he links up with fincher and they have the idea that what they need to do is before they can even dream about putting the book to paper they need to do some research themselves exactly and they effectively they have a building and they have an entire corridor where they just put a timeline and they just pepper it and they do this happened and this happened and this happened. Yeah. Every little thing so they could piece it together. And yeah, they just really sold the vision that you just have to become we're gonna do this here. And 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 it is like in, in the real life, in the actual real life scenario, in in what happened, Graysmith would one hundred percent have been thinking about the Zodiac killings more than what the Zodiac himself was thinking of. Because that, for him, is his every waking moment. The Zodiac, like... I mean, again, we don't know who he was technically. But if he was arrested and he was sent to prison, or he did just disappear for a little bit... You know, you see him at the end of the film and he's working in a fucking... um, What is it? A mechanical shop or whatever it is. Like, Graysmith was was on him. And you just... Yeah. Well, I'll tell you the casting that could have been. Go on. So... As a small part, the part of uh, Melvin Belli, the news anchor who had the Zodiac call in, was offered to Gary Oldman. And Wait, say again, who? So you know they do the there's the call with the Zodiac, the phones in. And they, oh they, yeah, they, yeah, 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 so yeah. The, lawyer, the famous guy. Yeah, yeah. That was going to be Gary Oldman, but they said he wasn't heavy enough. That um, was Brian Cox. That well, was, it, it Brian was Cox. Offered, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian Cox's character. Yeah, he was offered yeah, cool. to um, Gary Oldman. Brian Cox, who's also yeah. in Marvel. He's an X-Men. Um, as a side thing, Clint Eastwood refused permission for any of his scenes from Dirty Harry to be used at the screening. 
mm. um, of Dirty Harry in the film. Yeah. Um, Finch just said he didn't want to be in another serial killer movie. I guess he'd done enough of them. Yeah. Uh, there is a quote reference in it though. He says he's your dirty Harry, doesn't he? Yeah. Ruffalo says yeah, that. Yeah, so that if you in the diner. Dirty, the Dirty Harry is literally yeah. based off the Zodiacs. Yeah. We actually done that in this bracket. Um initially David Fincher told me the idea of having Brad Pitt as Avery before he settled on Robert Downey Jr. Uh I, I, I don't know. I think I can see Robert Downey Jr. as as more Avery than than Brad Pitt, but then again, this is uh, it's what something I want to talk about as well. Is it unfair that Robert Downey Jr. was maybe cast as Avery because of his history of drug and alcohol dependency? Like you know, because when Fincher cast him, he Fincher knows eventually this is what Avery becomes, right? Yeah. Because at the start he's quite charismatic. He's a cool guy. Yeah, he's smashing a bit of gear every now and again. But in the end, he's a wreck of a man. But you think Robert Downey Jr. I guess that's on Downey Jr. to decide whether he wants it or not. Yeah. One that is going to spin you out here. So if Jake Gyllenhaal had turned down the role, Fincher's second choice was Orlando Bloom. (laughs) That's no. (laughs) Fucking hell no. Absolutely not. So he'd have been what? American accent for a start. (laughs) Um, Orlando Bloom. When was this? 2007. Oh, so Lord of the Rings was, was yeah. out and this the, was like Two Towers, yeah. Return of the King yeah. sort of time. Hmm. When was Pirates of the Caribbean? That was probably about 20, 2000. This would have been post because Return of the King's 2005. So this would have been, this almost, would have been his pir- first, this, almost his first role after. This would have been Pirates of the Caribbean yeah. territory. Um, absolutely not. I, I I still think Toby Maguire would have been a really good um, Grossman, to be honest. Um, the soundtrack is interesting because we'll speak about um, Spotlight in a little bit. The soundtrack here is almost comprised entirely of like period pop songs. And I don't even, I can't even remember the soundtrack. So you particularly. think Hurdy Gurdy, Matt? There are a lot like that. I know about the Hurdy Gurdy um, one, but. I think a film as, as bleak as this, the soundtrack is supposed to be a pick me up of sorts. But it doesn't rely on music that heavily, does it? Or have I just. So you've, that? you've got a couple, you've got uh, after the first murder, you've got it being played on the radio as they're moving through. You've got one essentially as they're bridging a gap of time. Then you get some. There's like a four-year jump, there. isn't there? Yeah, um, and I think it's in there. Yeah, to give you a bit of a pick-me-up, it's nothing to get you too high either. It's almost like uh, well, that hasn't got me that high. I can't even remember it. <laughs> like a Lucasade more than a Red Bull in the yeah. film. So just get even, a little bit, to even you of, out rather than perk yeah, you up. Almost like refocus you and kind of yeah. Look, we're moving on. This isn't just one long, drawn-out glucose, not thing. caffeine. Yeah, yeah, it's just to break it up a bit, I think. Mm-hmm. And it still works really well. And I even thought, I, keep, I never thought Does I'd say it Hurdy Gurdy really well, Man Luke? so much. but um, I don't remember it. You know Hurdy Gurdy Man. And, <laughs> I know Hurdy Gurdy Man. And I think even that doesn't feel like it's being used in an ironic sense, like Tarantino and Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. It feels... <laughs> Fitting, which is a strange when two teenagers are being shot multiple times, but it works. Five times and four times, you said. Yeah. That's so gross. A couple of scenes before we move on. If we can speak about the Arthur Lee Allen interrogation slash confrontation. Yep. We They build this scene so well. We hear them having their little pep talk before, which I thought was really good, where they're deciding who's going to lead yeah, yeah, the yeah. call. 
Yeah. It feels very real, doesn't it? Yeah. And then we have this like POV shot of Alan walking to meet the investigators and he's looking through some like wired safety fencing, Mm -hmm. almost like suggesting he's behind bars already. Yep. There's this like machine sounding in the background and it's almost just like pulsing away. It's not like a distinguishable sound. It's just almost just quite like bassy, like it's like a heartbeat in the background. And then just the little details where you're looking with them, like, are we supposed to be picking up on something here? They have the shot as uh, Alan crosses his legs over and they zoom in on his boots and you're like, am, am I supposed to be picking moon, something moon up Moonwalkers. Yeah. yeah, moonwalkers. He presents his alibi, then explains his alibi is now dead. And then everyone's hair is kind of standing up and, and he says, the knives I had in my car with the blood on them, that blood came from a chicken, by the way, that I yeah. killed for dinner. And Ruffalo just says, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gives he gives more than what they yeah. even fed him. Yeah. We get the look at the watch, which um, we're supposed to be just standing up, jumping and screaming. That's that so point. damning, isn't it? And that's true as well. Yeah, he, no, he that is so that, that is so damning though. Um, you think you think you've got the name Zodiac, and then you've got the actual exact yeah. logo. How? But this is what's so confusing about this case. Like, how was that not? enough to take someone to court. It's all because of the handwriting. So the Zodiac at the end of the watch day. was a thing because he says at the start, like this was, he's a fa- he's a phony. Yeah. His whole thing was based on a watch. Yeah. Um, is, that, then, is that some sort of potentially trying to be clever I comment he, where it's like your time is up sort of thing? Is I, that, you, I think he's like probably, that he wasn't, he was less creative than he thought he was, was yeah. probably the he thing. He just kind of stole things from other places. And then you've got the, the conclusion of the scene where he says, I'm not the Zodiac, and if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. And yeah. then, am I free to go? And then I always But say, he's the only one that writes him a letter, right? Yeah. yeah. And I always say to Keenan, when a shot feels like, um, or a clip feels like it's in there exclusively to be in the trailer, mm. and that to me <laughs> was like, Okay, that's just like prime trailer. Yeah, four seconds like, of a trailer. Look at the camera. I'm not the Zodiac, and if I was, and then as we said earlier in the film, when Graysmith says, "I need to know," and in the second to last scene, Graysmith goes to see him, who's now working at a hardware store, mm. and they just have this like Western stare down with the two looking at each other and they keep going back and forth and Graysmith just isn't breaking his gaze. That scene's interesting though because it's like, um, again, in that scene, it's Graysmith who's obsessed. Yeah. The the actual um, Lee Allen, he he's staring at him. He doesn't even recognise him. I, I think... It's Graysmith that's staring into his soul and then after like three or four seconds, that must feel like yeah. a minute, that's when he realises... Oh, you're you're so and so, or potentially he doesn't because then, why would he if he's not yeah, a zodiac? And Alan legs it out of there. Um, Graysmith legs it out of there, and I took that as he's almost terrified, and you don't know if it's that he's terrified that he's got his man or that he hasn't. Like he's based his whole life upon this thing, and he needs that. Which one. part are we talking about? Where he legs it out of there? The basement? No. Or so when the he hardware. the hardware store, when he's the basement, he legs yeah, it out. Yeah, of we'll there. speak about that next. Yeah, yeah. When he runs out of the hardware store. It's like he says, doesn't he? All he needs is that one moment where he looks and he knows he's I've looking into him. Yeah, yeah. And when he runs out, it's like, is that because? Well, it's meant to be ambiguous, isn't it? Yeah. Is that because it's his guy or because it isn't? Yeah, it's meant to be. Yeah. Um, which is frustrating, but it's done very well. Yeah, because that moment in the electrical store is the that's like the equivalent. That's supposed to be our like lightsaber fight at the end of Star Wars. <laughs> like that's that Jewel is, of the Fates right it's, there. It's the yeah. ultimate showdown. Yeah, it's true. And yeah. it's supposed to be Grace Miss conclusion. But it isn't. 
And that's kind of the whole film. But it's nice that the potential Zodiac is the one almost still in control by the end of that. Because he, I mean, if Arthur Lee Allen was the Zodiac, he died of a heart attack. So really, he got off scot-free. In in reality, um, the way that played out is they did have a kind of confrontation. And Graysmith's following him in his car. And they actually, he parks up outside this store. Yeah. And Allen pulls up in his car, he says close enough that he can't open his car door. And they just have a moment just where Staring he just at stares at him. And then... Why didn't they just film that? He, that sounds drive, even more intense. Off. I thought the same. They should have just filmed that. Yeah. Maybe they just couldn't logistically yeah. do it. And then he just Because it's quite off. hard camera angle-wise. Yeah. But that would have been insane. Yeah. yeah. Um, the basement scene and is, is the last scene I want to speak about. And basement scene is very good. Yeah, it's a wet... September night, 1978. And... The alarm bells are ringing from the start of that scene. This this is the prime example of, like, where curiosity would have killed the cat. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Because as soon as he gets inside, the mood is just so unnerving. And then... As soon as he follows them back to the house, he says, come back to my house. Well, well, no. (laughs) The the moment where he says... um, it was it was him and not Marshall that was responsible for the movie poster handwriting. Yeah, because yeah, as you say, they have the meeting first, and that's I think supposed to show. And Graysmith says he he can't explain now why he went there, but it's supposed to show, isn't it? That and also by this point, you've been fed the potential characteristics yeah. of the Zodiac. You know this guy know. fits it's, it. It's essentially in there for this, us to this say. This guy looks 5'9"-ish, yeah. curly hair, stocky. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know that he fits the Zodiac killer. Yeah, and we go through and he assures him that he lives alone. Even just the moment when they get through the door and you see him lock it with the key and you're like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he says he lives alone. Footsteps yeah, the creaking upstairs. upstairs. Yeah. Something that Graysmith was able to show Fincher, he had a dictaphone recording his interaction in the house. And you could hear the creaking. And you can hear the creaking mm. and you can hear him legging it to try and get out. And he says, that's as terrifying as anything you see in the film. And That's weird though. What would the creaking be? It was probably a cat maybe. Yeah, I guess. Like- but like in that moment, you would, if you spent months obsessing over who a potential yeah. killer is when you're like oh shit and he has these like tapes. epiphany in front yeah. of you yeah he has down that. there goes down to the basement and then the whole thing is just shot so well the lighting the sound obviously there's no soundtrack to offset it um i like the fact that when when he's when he's trying to be polite and he's like oh thank you very much by the yeah. way and he goes and he runs and then, and then you're like lots. you're like oh he's away and then there's that wait of about three seconds and then you realise that he's not away because he has to be let out. Even just reaching over him to unlock the Yeah, door. yeah, yeah. He has to be let out of that house by the potential is, Zodiac. It's awful. In a film that is led with just what's supposed to be the dreary police work, just to get this little five-minute pure... Adrenaline. Like, yeah. yeah. It's, it's shot like a horror scene with like where it's building to the crescendo of where the kettle flicks off. <laughs> yeah. And then... <laughs> this moment and he gets out of there and it's just again show us this is how he's in too deep and I don't think he realised yeah he's a cartoonist then. that is doing the job of you know which is why then I think he needs that moment of seeing Arthur Lee Allen to kind of put it behind him um, yeah this scene nearly didn't make it to the film really 
So near the end of editing, Paramount asked Fincher if he could trim anything from his final cut um, because two hours, 40 minutes was too much. And he spoke with Vanderbilt to say, logistically, what can we take out of this that isn't going to mess up the story? And Vanderbilt said, well, I guess the only thing you can really take out, because it's a a red herring, this scene, isn't it? It's It's supposed to show we've got the guy. Actually, no, we haven't. And it's it's, just another day. It's theatrical, yeah. It is, like you said, it's there to just spike your adrenaline levels a little bit. And so he said, well, that's, I guess, the only scene that you can really take out. It's a very, very memorable scene, though. Well, Fincher takes the idea to Paramount, and he says the studio just gave him a reality check, and they said, like, are you insane? Yeah. That supposedly what they do these execs and things when they're doing the test screenings if they're testing for horror and suspense you look above because you're on the balcony you look whatever. for spikes yeah well they say, you look to see if anyone moves they say if people's head doesn't move then they're in yeah they're just so like frozen yeah. and he said nobody moved in that whole scene and they were like we'll we, we'll go with the extra we'll have to just market it as a two hour 40 minute we're not taking that scene out yeah when does that scene fall? That's probably about two thirds. It's it's just before um, he goes to the video store, so it's like it's more than four scenes from the end. Yeah, I was going to say it's more than halfway, isn't it? It's just near nearer the end than it is the start. Well, he does that one. He does that, and then I think, sh- and then shortly after, he goes to see Toski again, and he's he yeah. goes to Toski again and says, "I've got it. I found it. Whatever." And then they do it. Uh, from there yeah uh, the conclusion of this film the ambiguity in terms of Fincher so Seven we've got a head in a box it couldn't be any more conclusive mm. in this this is a gutsy ending so to have two hours 40 minutes and then at the end not give you a conclusion is brave it is but there's nothing else that they could have done because of the the actual context of the case itself. I mean, if if it's not solved and you're basing something on a real life case, all you can do Which was is, a gutsy film to make. Yeah, exactly. But I mean all you can do is just give the statistics of what happened, when they happened, what's happening now. That's all you can do is inform you know, the public of, of this is the reality yeah. of this. Well, you, as I said beforehand, because they, they it, weren't trying to do that. It's heavily, it is heavily implied that it is this Arthur Lee Allen what, dude. That's what I think is even braver. Um, and then they, they, <laughs> they poke at you again because they're like, oh, also, P.S., he had a heart attack, he's dead. And you're just like, right, cool. Yeah, and what I think that's interesting is what I think they make it really clear by the end this isn't so much a film about the Zodiac. This is a film about what Robert Graysmith thinks about the Zodiac. And I think that's yeah. how they get away with the ending because one, he's died, so you can't lie with the dead. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it what probably is- was that guy as well, which is, is so frustrating. He went to prison for like a bit. Yeah. He, he, I mean, he did fiddle with kids. Yeah. <laughs> so- <laughs> I don't know why I laughed at that. So no, I know. It's yeah, like, I know. But- what is true for is kind of his journey and we can read from the film or we can take from it. And essentially... It doesn't matter if it was him or not. The whole point is mm. no one knows um, because there are people that point away from what Graysmith said and they say that certain yeah. samples and things don't match up and the handwriting or whatever. 
But this is what happens, though, isn't it? With killers, like they become they become myths and legends. How and many also, how many suspects are there for Jack the Ripper? Yeah, and also the thing with Graysmith is he needed he needed to look at him. So he needed to find yeah. someone. So he had a conclusion. Yeah, and you get that sometimes where um, kind of like if you if if you're trying to do some DIY and it doesn't look as it good, but I'm going to make this work. You know that you did it. And we, we just you're like, yeah, that's not, that's not exactly even, but it, it was uh, never going to be. Yeah. yeah. Or even if you're writing something or you're doing something creative and you've taken so long on it that by the end, you just, yeah. you just need it done. So you maybe don't, it's not as good at the start as it is at the yeah, end. So yeah. you're probably making some things fit by the end. It may have I been guess. him. A lot of things do add up in the circumstantial evidence, but um, you get the ending, don't you, where... Mike Majo says, the last time I saw his face was July 4th, 1969. I'm very sure that's the man who shot me. It's very heavily implied, but that's that's the guy. I just think with these things, like, you know, when it comes to, like, serial killer cases, the difference between America and the UK is so drastic. Like, I mean... Who when you when you think of a serial killer, who's the first person that comes to your head? For me, it's Jack the Ripper. But that is because as of, I'm looking at you, maybe Fred West. <laughs> oh, this is exactly right. This is exactly what I was going to talk about. This is exactly what I was going to talk about. I was getting on. I was getting on to this. I mean, Gloucester's famous for two things, right? Cheese and Fred Fred West. But Fred West wasn't fucking sending the police ciphers no. and like clues he was just doing what he was yeah. doing which was being a fucking wrong so you admire that in a way is what you're saying <laughs> he was doing what he was doing but I feel like the American serial killers they're always like just edging the police and being like oh, oh try and catch me this is what I've done this is this is it this is that that, that letter which is real is it's insane that's where he says it's insane anything I can do to help because Graysmith went to see a um, criminology professor yeah. a month before yeah. and he was basically saying of how um, no I'm, I just can't crack it yeah. and he said whoever it is is going to reveal themselves to you because they're going to tell you they'll offer to help it's just yeah it's just crazy, like that. But I feel like I feel like the the UK serial killers are just not. I don't know. We're just not as uh, Hollywood. Yeah, we're just not <laughs> as dramatic. We haven't kind of got that flair that like the American. I mean, look, look at Ted Bundy. Yeah. You got like it is. That's one. We don't need another Ted Bundy film. No, I know, but it's just Fincher's next film is about a serial killer who, who picks up a conscience with Michael Fassbender in it. Is it a true story? No, I don't believe so. No. But last point on this film before we move on. You were a fan of Zodiac. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very good, very good film, yeah. Let's move on. 90 priests molested kids over the last 30 years. That's the kind of thing your team would investigate. Spotlight? Yeah. They'll try to silence anyone who speaks out. You're not recording this, are you? There's no paper trail. Are you telling me the church removed legal documents? I'm not paranoid. They control everything. If there were 90, people would know. Maybe they do. We're going to tell this story. We're going to tell it right. We've got to show people that nobody can get away with this. Spotlight. The true story of how the Boston Globe uncovered the massive scandal of child molestation and cover-up within the local Catholic archdiocese, shaking the entire Catholic church to its core. 
Kieran, same question again. What do you think the critics thought of this one? Good, very good. Anything based on a true story, if it's done well, they're not going to slander it because that makes them <laughs> liable to it. There is an incredible balance within the film. It is a journalism procedural, but there is also the serious and unsettling story we witness being uncovered. Perfectly paced and structured like a thriller. Yeah. Relevant, exciting, and minimal on a grand scale. This one is unmissable. Spotlight has everything you need from a night at the movies. Gripping, enlightening, shocking, distressing, and triumphant. Yeah. And finally... The film treats the subject of the investigation with the utmost respect and gives it the weight that it deserves. It's a pretty big deal when it came out, wasn't it? I mean, didn't it? Did it win an Oscar? It, yeah, it did yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I I remember it was a it was a big deal when it came out. And Ruffalo was up for best supporting actor as well, but he didn't win it. Sure, I feel like I said he did earlier, and now I'm questioning it. I don't think he won we'll it. Find I that, we'll I, find that. I don't out. think Ruffalo won an Oscar. But what I'm going to ask you, um, I'll ask you just quick because I missed it with the last film. Go on. Who do you think has the best performance in Zodiac? In Zodiac? Yeah. <laughs> I think RDJ. I'm going to ask you the same question about uh, Spotlight so you can okay. think about that. Um, I know my answer to that. We'll wait, we'll wait. All right, okay. <laughs> if we start with the opening scene with this film, it's a film that doesn't have really any flash to it and this is probably mm-hmm. the closest in terms of uh, a classic like movie trope we get the flashback of the priest at the station the officer talking about the arraignment and the other says what arraignment as he leaves of his own accord yeah and at that point the story is born yeah we get the introduction of um, marty played by Lee schreiber yep and he has the sit-down with the Cardinal, doesn't he, who tells him, <clears throat> the city flourishes when its great institutions work together. And he politely dissents from the Cardinal's I vision. Think the paper works better yeah. by itself. Yep. Yep. And that conversation, which just take, takes place right at the start of the film, just sets up the film's central conflict that it is the church against everything else. Against almost. the press, yeah. I remember watching this at... at the cinema and I don't remember there being too much hype about it and I don't I know the fact I only watched this with Sam and usually so this is 2015 there'd have been far more of us going to the cinema at that point I I was always very up to date with what was out and I would yeah. say are we going to watch this at this time or whatever and I'd always get the message back yeah what's it about well it says yeah yeah it this says, one's a tough sell yeah it says a lot that I I was texting you the other day. I thought I watched this with you. No, because I, I used to have my cinema tweets. Don't do them anymore. Yeah, <laughs> infamously. I thought I watched this with you because I'm I'm sure I watched this at the cinema. But again, it it wasn't. It's not like it's a huge cinema outing, is it? It's not no. a huge film that you go to the cinema for. It's one of those ones where you watch it and you come out and you just feel a little bit depleted it kind of reminds me a bit of um did you watch maybe we'll watch this together um bomb is it bombshell the one about harvey weinstein no i haven't said that okay but it's you kind of so i knew what i was going into yeah yeah margot robbie's in it i think nicole yeah and and charlie's from that's the one charlie's from yeah and it's about weinstein and and all that is it actually about him or is it just inferred this about him 
I've not seen it. No, it's not about Weinstein. It's about... Is it about Weinstein? It's about women in media, I know that. But. No, it's about... Yeah, it's about the other... Um... It's about to start the Me Too movement. Yeah. And it's yeah. about one of the guys that works at the top of... Uh, at the top of yeah, one of the one media. Of the stations or something. Yeah. Yeah. Was it Weinstein? Um... No, it wasn't Weinstein. No. No, it wasn't Weinstein. Well, that kind of shits on that point. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, no. It, well, I guess the subject matter is still the same. Yeah, like you, it's kind of. So I knew what I was going into when I watched this film, but you don't, you don't come out with any kind of um, difference of mind. You, you know what you're going into when you watch it, and you come out and you're just like, well, that's what I thought it was going to be, and I feel fucking shit because well, yeah, but- it, it is bleak. Well, yeah, like- you, you know how this one, how you're going to feel with this one going in. Um, <clears throat> that unless. If it's a revenge movie, then it's it's going to be a completely different tone and you'd have heard of the story already, so we know it's not that. So you know yeah. you're not going to see that kind of justice. And so really, the the payoff you're going to get is the expose and not the... Uh, yeah. Not the actual conclusion of the story, I guess. And No, some- you, want, you want the meat. You yeah, want, yeah. yeah, the actual what's that's going on. Something that's interesting with this and... Again, this is a two-hour film that doesn't feel like a two-hour film to me. And mm. there's very little setup because you don't have to set this up as a villain. There's no one that is having to... We don't need a scene with someone explaining why it's bad. <laughs> to Dutch kids. Yeah, like yeah. it's, it's, an, it's yeah. an easy setup. You, yeah, yeah, you've yeah. got the audience on your side entirely. You've got yeah. no real basis to set. So really... Well, I'd, do you have the audience on your side entirely? Because, I mean... You've got, again, this is one of the prominent themes in the film. You've got a lot of Catholics slash Christians that would have watched that film and felt highly uncomfortable. I mean, I'm fucking Irish Catholic. Well, they say... And when I watched it, I was like, this is gross. Well, there's a, there's a quote in in the film where they're talking about the coverage of the story. Yeah. And I think it's Ruffalo says, no one wants to, re- no one wants to flick to page six and read about someone touching kids. Mm-hmm. And that kind of sets up the premise of the whole film in that this needs to be done. No one wants to do it. No, and it needs to be done in in a within a certain tact because it needs to be enough that you don't read stories about people leaving the cinema. It needs to be done with enough tact that it feels sensitive. It needs to be done with enough tact that doesn't feel sensationalized. If it's if it comes across as just a massive attack then you're going to get the purists that defend it yeah. and they defend it and they're justified in defending it because they're defending themselves from attack. Well, Whereas if it's done, you know, intelligently and, uh, you know, proficiently, then you're not going to get those people walk out. Well, it's, because I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm Irish Catholic and I watched it and I was like, this is, this is uncomfortable, yeah. but also it's reality. This happened. It's remarkable how engaging the film is without falling back on kind of artificially driven dramatic scenes that weren't there or, you know, someone doing an interrogation scene with a priest and all this stuff. Like, (laughs) well, even like an interrogation, I mean, like sitting across the, there's no, there's at no point in this film where someone sits opposite a priest and, Sweats them out. And they're yeah. kind of, Sweats you did out. this yeah. and you did that. Um, and there's no scenes with priests and kids. No, it's just a slow burn as the yeah. investigation unfolds. And so 
that's what well, you're learning. It feels like you you are learning as the reporters, as the journalists yeah, it's a journal, are learning. a movie, and yeah, it's done. You're learning whilst they learn. Like they managed to create this without a load of flashbacks, as I said, um, without any big looming threat. The closest to a threat we get is either the story being broken by someone else, or you've mm. got the point with um, and I forget the actor's name. He's very good. Um, the kind the curly haired guy in, uh, in this who has the picture on his fridge because he realizes it's like 10 doors down that's the closest to a real threat that we have is they do an occasional shot of you see a priest, one of the members of spotlight yeah and then you see kids running around that's yeah. the closest yeah, yeah, to yeah, yeah, like yeah. an actual threat yeah that we get and really as i said the biggest threat is the the story leaking first um yeah there's that rival paper isn't there that if the if yeah. the documents become public, they can leak it just as quickly as Spotlight yeah. could. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think what's most impressive is um, the nuts and bolts they do give you of the journalism within this. It's just on the dawn of the internet age. So it's, it is on your feet journalism. Like they're going around, they're knocking doors. It's, it's not being done via emails and it's not being done no. by discovering things on 2002. ancient websites. 2001, because yeah. we see 9-11. Yeah. Um, it's a very unglamorous film. Like The drama comes from the detail is a quote I saw, which I thought was, was perfect. And just the slow realisation that their investigation could change the world far beyond Boston, which is what they're really just trying to get with it. Yeah, it goes from one priest to 20 priests to, I think it goes one to, no, does it go like one to 13 and then 20 and then to 90? There's one scandal and then, yeah, then it goes to 13 and then they say, I mean, does it, it sound to right to you? And then it 87. goes... No, it's not 93 or something, it's something mental. The, yeah. the casting, a lot of this, it seems like they knew who they wanted. Um, yeah. The one thing Michael Keaton says he was afraid of when he accepted the role was the Boston accent. Um, and he said after watching video footage of the real Walter Robinson, he was <laughs> surprised that he only had a slight Boston accent. Yeah. Um, Where's quite, Michael Keaton from? Do you, uh, I don't know. Sorry, actually. I'm asking like your fucking ass Jeeves. I'm, I'm quite yeah. glad with this that the traditional Boston accent was toned down because usually whenever a movie is set in Boston, yeah, it's harsh. the entire cast just doubles down on their yeah, thickest Boston harsh. accent yeah, yeah, yeah. and it kind of borders on parody. Yeah. And it's a, it's a horrible accent to get wrong as well. Um, there's a couple of them in The Departed. Ray Winston should just never do an accent because he can't do them. Wahlberg. Yeah, yeah. He's from, he's from Boston, so he's. But he, he yeah, but he yeah. hams it up. He does it. Um, it's the same in Ted. Like he hams it up. Um, yeah. Margot Robbie supposedly turned down the role of Sasha Pfeiffer due to exhaustion. Um, she'd just done Wolf of Wall Street. Z is for Zachariah, and then Focus. I, I question that one slightly, just because. <clears throat> The ensemble cast in this is so carefully structured that Margot Robbie in 2014, 15 is standing out. Young. But even, even she's just mega. Like the other casting what if is that Matt Damon was considered for the role of Michael Resendez, which goes to Mark Ruffalo. He's too big for that as well. Mm. So that's those two I'm a bit sceptical about the I truth. No, no, she seems, to, Margot Robbie just seems too young. Rachel McAdams is perfect in that yeah, role. Yeah, she's, she's brilliant. She's fantastic. Um, like, she's, I mean, I I think she's 
an exceptional actor as well. I think she's so, so good. I've never seen her in anything where I've not thought she's fucking fantastic. Even, again, like, we keep... These films do cross over. Even in, like, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. She's really good in Sherlock Holmes. Damon chooses to do The Martian instead, by the way, so not a bad, mm. not a bad choice. Um, no. Yeah, Ruffalo was nominated for Best Actor in a Supporting Role, and Damon yeah. was nominated for Best Actor in the same year. Yeah. Um, the real-life Walter Robinson said of Michael Keaton, it's like watching yourself in a mirror, yet having no control of the mirror image. I think it's so funny watching watching Michael Keaton in this film because it just feels like absolutely everyone in Boston loves this guy. <laughs> He's just like the friendliest, yeah. most well-liked person in the entirety of Boston. This is a proper ensemble cast in this yeah. um, because we hear that a lot and it's just like... You hear like the Expendables is is sold as an ensemble cast, and there's yeah. very much it's like muscles. Sylvester Stallone yeah. is is at the forefront of this. Yeah. This is there's still a lead, but there's no kind of who would you say the lead is? Keaton, probably. Yeah, okay, there's no I'd one agree, trying yeah. to outact the others. There's no, no one trying to steal the stage more than the others. No, um, this is just a real supremely talented cast. Yeah. And it's a group achievement, this one. It's it's not any one person um, yeah. stealing the shine. Um, another scene in particular, the assignment of the story, like we, we set it up, it's 2001, we got the redundancies. Um, and we kind of hear about the spotlight team and they kind of do it in what we always say is the John Wick way, where they do the kind of, you know, have you heard about this and you hear the legend of the, <laughs> the like, legend of spotlight, spotlight yeah. and it's, you know, yeah. a, a spotlight yeah. on this, you know, there's a spotlight team and yeah. no one can know what they do. But and, they existed, right? They were yeah, real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Baron gives them this mission. He wants spotlight to investigate the claims and I think Keaton pushes back and says, you know, Spotlight usually chooses their own stories. Yeah. And he says, Is there a problem? And with- you'll choose to do this well, one. Well, yeah, will you choose to, <laughs> will you choose this one? Yeah. Yeah. The, the realism in this, I mean, during an interview on uh, national radio there, the director said that they built a large set to depict many of the Boston Globe's offices where parts of the story took place. And they say just naturally when the actual reporters depicted in the movie visited the set, they kind of gravitated to their desks and they arranged the desks as they would have had it then. And I know um, Ruffalo in particular, he just kept Resendez on set and he would just ask him, to say the line so he could do it in his cadence and his pitch and all of these things. Yeah, yeah. And he works off and that's why he's kind of speaking out the side of his mouth for a lot of this film. He, yeah, he does. He speaks, it's almost like he's got like a, a cleft lip throughout the entirety of he this. He said he's just... He's very, very physical. His said, entire character is so physical in this film. He just wanted to mirror the person and do them justice. Yeah, he's very... Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's almost like noticeable. It, it seems too deliberate. Yeah. In that sense, because he does just talk out of one side of his mouth. He's just speaking out the left side of his mouth. Yeah, and even just, they seem like such ordinary people in the way they frame them. When they're at the baseball game, they're in kind of the, the yeah. middle tier seats. When you see uh, Ruffalo's character has just got this really little apartment where yeah. it's just basically a kitchen and, and a he's bedroom. He's like cooking beans on the stove and stuff. And the, the guy others- comes around, brings in pizza, and he's yeah. like fucking grateful <laughs> that he's brought in leftover pizzas. Like, 
the yeah. others we only really see them in their kitchen or at dinner as their spouses are kind of passing by they're only in their element when they're in the kind of spotlight yeah. um a, a, yeah. was his apartment's not the right word spot the de- department i guess yeah and the whole thing like i'm I, I forget the actual term for it i'm not religious but i'm not attuned to the idea like i believe there's something but I don't really know where I stand on all of yeah. that. The way Ruffalo is in this, where even if you aren't part of the Catholic Church, you can't help but just feel slightly betrayed in the way that he does. The one quote where it's, um, if it takes a village to raise a child, it takes a village to abuse one. Yeah. It's just mad. And we get yeah. we get the focus of the story um, where Marty says... We need to focus on the institution, not the individual priests. Practice and policy. Show me the church manipulated the system so that these guys wouldn't have to face charges. Show me they put those same priests back into the parishes time and time again. Show me this was systemic, that it came from the top down. Yep. It's all really well built. Everything, like even just the characters that come in. Um, Neil Huff, who plays Phil Saviano, is great. He, he comes across as a bit mad, but then... He's been banging his head against a wall for years. So he's yeah. the guy that's essentially brought in to save you a 20-minute scene. He's going to be frantic and he's going to give you all the detail in five minutes and now we don't need to give you another research scene and a background scene. Yeah. And he does that. I mean, yeah, that's the guy that comes in and just wants you to... It's one thing to say something; it's another thing to prove it, though, right? He's exasperated, isn't he? Where he's constantly saying, "Like, yeah. well, how did you not know? I, I sent you this. I told you this." Yeah. Um, but if something's been mulling over your mind for the past, yeah, I mean, thirty years, yeah. where you know a priest <laughs> did whatever the fuck a yeah. priest does to you, to you, then you know you're going to come in, yeah, exasperated, like, it, it, and in your head it makes so much sense, yeah. but to someone that's never heard. You say, "Oh yeah, priests. Yeah, priests touch kids." Because I think even to us, like of our of our generation, maybe I mean the joke's been made on South Park a million times. Yeah, like I'm I'm you know Irish Catholic and like I I understand the jokes about yeah. Catholic priests touching kids. That's not something unknown. So to me, for me to hear that, I'd be like, "Oh yeah, this probably did happen," but. I think back then it's like, yo, this yeah. this didn't well, even, even not happen. They're essentially saying everyone knew something was up, but nobody spoke about it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, um, I, uh, I just think it's a different generation. It's it's yeah. not something that we're that the whole the whole um, priests touching kids thing is something that we are now acclimatized to. But I think maybe forty fifth fucking fifty years yeah. ago. Maybe it wasn't. Keaton in this is brilliant, as they all are. He has this kind of mid-2010s comeback with Birdman. Yep. You, did you like Birdman? Birdman's in, insane, yeah. I Birdman's I, ri- didn't, I didn't like it. Why? Uh, Why, Luke I can't Byron? remember it enough to tell you, but I remember leaving the cinema. I watched it with Langston and his brother. <laughs> I and, didn't watch it at the cinema, to be fair. I watched it at home. I said... What the fuck would we just watch? Birdman was great. I love Birdman. And he was like, oh, I really like that. Yeah. No, it wasn't for me. Who said that? Langston? Yeah, yeah. Big up, Sam. 
You, was it just because Emma Stone was in it? Oh, she, <laughs> she looked rough in that film. <laughs> she looked rough. No, I, I like the way it's shot from start to finish on, it's, there's no um, cutscenes, yeah. which is, is very, 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 very good. So his, his mid-2010s, he does Birdman, Spotlight, and then actually my favourite of the lot, the founder, he yeah. does. Um, McDonald's. Who plays that bastard Ray Kroc. Yeah. <laughs> he's, so, he's so good. I'm just looking up and down like his but, career... No, if we're going to talk about his career, I will ask you a very serious question. What's his best film? Well, I'm about to get into that. You're jumping the gun. <laughs> you, yeah, but you know what I'm going to say. I do, why. and I've got actually written down in front of me. Uh, I got, he was really good here. We've got Jackie Brown, your favourite Jack Frost. <laughs> yes, come on. I mean, he's Vulture in Spider-Man Homecoming. I know he was in Morbius. I've not watched that. Was he in Morbius? Oh, yeah, I think yeah. he was. Yeah, he Same was. character as the Vulture again. <laughs> yeah, he was. Jackie Brown, great film. Um, Jack Frost, even better. He He's good, as you say. So he's the kind of man about town here. Everyone and loves him. When he flicks the switch, well, like when he says, we've got two stories here, a story about a degenerate clergy and a story about a bunch of lawyers turning child Cover abuse into a cottage industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which one do you want us to write? His presence, because we spoke about whether who's a big guy and who's a little guy. He's not a huge guy, but he fills the screen. And yeah, he has a certain confidence just in his, the yeah, way he yeah. looks. That's also seen in um, when oh, I'm really bad with names. What's what's the guy called? The guy that um, owns is it Snap? Is that what it's called? The one where it's like the survivors against priests. Oh, what in this film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Phil uh, Phil Saviano. Yeah. So when he's when he's ranting blah 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 and he says I gave you all of this yeah. blah, blah. and then I think there's a scene Keaton looks at him and he says I just wanted clar- I just want clarity yeah. or something and he's very very still and looks at him and it's almost like this guy would fuck you up yeah, yeah he looks scary and he's not doing anything he's just no. looking at this guy but the angle and the way that his face is just so stone we, You're just like, oh, okay. We've got one of my favourite film things in this, where um, near the end, where Robbie goes to see Jack, I think his name is, and it's a we see it time and time again where the wife lets them in and it's all like, oh my God, look who it is, he's coming to see yeah, us. And it's yeah, like, yeah. this guy should not be coming to see you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he says, the wife and the husband just, just don't talk yeah. at all about work. He's like, just leave us for, leave us for a moment. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then he's like, I need those names. Yeah. Uh, and, he's coming out. and then we got Ruffalo, who already mentioned, well, on Zodiac as well, but his performance in this is just unbelievable. The way he goes from the kind of uh, investigator working his way through to essentially like a maniac just racing through the courthouses, chasing down yeah. taxis, screaming at his boss. Sleeping in the courts. Yeah. But the moment, as I mentioned before, where he says he stopped going to church years ago and he said he just assumed he would always go back. He said, I have that in my back pocket. He's got so many scenes in this that he just smashes out the park. Um, I'll ask you now, because I think he's the closest... I think he has the best performance in this. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. The the moment in which he has the kind of emotion just pour out where he says they knew it was kids and it was going on. 
Yeah. He gets some criticism for that. Really? So if there is any criticism of this film... What, critics-wise? Yeah, it's for him being too loud slash boisterous in the film. But like, surely mm. this is how you would react. <laughs> well, it depends. It depends on whether he's trying to do justice to the person that he's playing. Yeah, and I thought the whole point of this is that it's come to a head, like... But they, is this how the person that yeah, he was playing felt? Yeah, supposedly. Well, then, yeah, you shouldn't get criticism there. People say it doesn't seem... It seems a bit false, but I, I didn't take it as that. It might seem false if, if the actual reporter was cool-headed. Well, I mean, in terms of his... The way he performs it. Mm, no, I didn't get that. He, he seems passionate and heated, yeah. but you would be if you realised 90 kids so were touching... It's time they knew and that it happened to kids. It could have been you. It could have been me. It could have been any of us. we got to nail these scumbags. we got to show people that nobody can get away with this. Not a priest even, even or a cardinal or a freaking pope. Yeah. Yeah. He's just... It's a very good scene. Yeah, yeah he's just... Because so, so, the scene may be just as good, as I said, where he says to Sasha, like, I always had that in my back pocket. To go back to being yeah. Catholic. Yeah. He's just unbelievable. Um, got a cat on me here. There is a cat on you. <laughs> the thing which I don't know how accurate it was <clears throat> for them at the time, I love it when things that we know kind of get squeezed into film. So the, the way 9-11 isn't yeah. the key part of the film, but the way it's Referenced. a part of the film, yeah. I really like. Yeah. The fact that Ruffalo is just fuming that it disrupted his or his uh, story. Yeah. The um, What's the other guy? It's really bad that we don't know. We know Keaton's name, Ruffalo's name, McAdams' so it's Robbie, name. Robbie, I have it down because I was looking at We don't at know the other guy's name. I him from several things. But when he, he says, oh, I told my wife I had the freaking biggest news story ever, and then 9-11 happens. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Brian Darcy James. Okay. Is but his name. It's, Yeah. And it's Matt Carroll in the uh, mm. in the film. Mm. Um, the six percent scene, as we referenced, where they work out six percent of all priests. Yeah, because yeah. Ben Bradley says if there were ninety of these bastards, people would know. And then Ruffalo says maybe they do. Mm-hmm. And again, that's just the point of the entire film. Yeah, it's terrifying, isn't it? There's one scene and one performance in this film that stuck with me more than any other. And I don't know if we'll have the same opinion of this, but Patrick McSorley is the name of the character, played by Jimmy LeBlanc. And he is the very, very Boston guy who's a client of um, Garabedian, and he's interviewed by Ruffalo. He says, the one that's like, yeah, you can take my fucking name. Yeah. Yeah. So... That might be the best performance in the whole film. Yeah, that is that is standout. Out of, out of the victims, at least, that is standout. In in real life, he was victimised as part of the same scandal, that actor. Oh, really? The, the director found out after the fact. Yeah. And he asked if he was still comfortable shooting it, and he said he was. He said the mm. only thing he was scared of was that he was going to be working alongside both Batman and the Hulk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But... <laughs> That that scene with him, it's it's as pure a Boston accent as we see in the entire film. It's 
the mannerism feels yeah mm, um, we're not from Boston, but it feels just right when he's yeah for sure. You sure you want to fucking hear this shit at the start? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then just the whole story when he's saying, "My mum, she's thrilled." This was like God showing up. She put cookies up for him yeah. or whatever. Yeah, uh, he's got the track marks up his arm. Yeah, and the 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 one quote where he says, "I didn't know what to do. I was just a little kid. You know, I never even touched my ice cream, just melted down my arm. This is, yeah, he's the one that says, they're in they're in the car, aren't they? It's insane. And then to, say, to hear that he's a real-life survivor of that <clears throat> is insane. He, he has actually killed himself since, I believe. Really? Well, I'm almost certain. All right. If it's not him, then it's, it's the person that is interviewed by uh, Rachel McAdams um, the gay guy yeah offed himself what is just, so is the gay guy a survivor as well no but I'm just checking if it's how many real people life, are fucking if actors if, if it's the real life person there or if it was Jimmy LeBlanc so I, I'm sure I read it because out of the two out of the two accounts that we get those those are the two standouts right the gay guy when they're walking around the park and and him when he sat in the office with Stanley Tucci just checking uh Jesus Christ. I hope he hasn't offed himself. God. So okay, so it's the character so Patrick McSorley, the character that Jimmy LeBlanc is playing, yeah. Killed himself. Okay. Yeah. At twenty nine years old. Yeah, that's fucked. My age. Your age. Yeah, so he he when the story came out because his name obviously went in public and he just shared everything. Done himself. And then I know he, he did have several kids, as he says in the film as well, but couldn't get past it. It must have been after the film because you'd assume they'd have put like a thing on the film, like in memory of or something. It, I, when so much I, of the story is based around his testimony. May, well, did he not? Maybe he killed himself after the film. That's what I'm saying. So it must have been after, surely. Yeah, yeah, it would have been because it's one thing to have your name in the papers. It's another thing to have it portrayed by Mark Ruffalo, yeah. Michael Keaton, Rachel McAdams, and again the other guy. I've forgotten his name already. I'm sorry, Brian Darcy. Him, yeah. Leave Schreiber. I think is actually as good as anyone in this as well as Marty. Uh, Very there's a, there's, a lot, there's a lot of good actors. But in you, this. if you watch an interview with the actual Marty, yeah, it's like spot on. Really? Yeah, in terms of. Uh, how he plays it. And the moment he has when he says, sometimes it's easy to forget we spend most of our time stumbling around in the dark. Suddenly a light gets turned on and there's a fair share of blame to go around. I can't speak to what happened before I arrived. All of you have done some very good reporting here. Reporting, I believe, is going to have an immediate and considerable impact on our readers. For me, this kind of story is why we do this. Because you're meant to dislike him. You're kind of... Yeah. When, when he comes in, you're meant to be like, oh, who is well, they this? Say, well, they say he's a... Who is this he's eggy a, character? He's a Jewish guy from outside of Boston that who doesn't, doesn't like have baseball. a family. Yeah. And doesn't like yeah. baseball, yeah. And you're like, um, well, y- yeah, you're meant to dislike him, but he doesn't actually do anything wrong. He's just very, very, very hard working. Yeah. So... The- the soundtrack is perfect here. Like it's it's the same backing track, almost like a theme song or a jingle. I don't know the right. Yeah. Um, it just kind of helps to guide things along in a really understated manner. Like this wouldn't work with an actual soundtrack because the audience doesn't need to be told how to feel. No, it doesn't need an ironic twist or a hook like we have, as I said, in Tarantino or the yeah. way it's done in Zodiac. Yeah, 
it's just perfect as it is and given the subject matter too much lightness would be inappropriate like its tone is led by the actors and I guess they're trusted to do that without the without any uh, power-ups I guess if you would were in like a video game they, they don't have any special powers it's just you're trusting them they've got one life left and they have to carry this by themselves yeah they're all downplayed even like when you're watching it you're like oh that's Mark Ruffalo but you're not like oh that's Mark Ruffalo that's Rachel McAdams yeah. you're not like oh that's Rachel McAdams they're all very very basic stripped back core human yeah. beings yeah I don't know about I quite liked the um, little twist with the editorial oversight like I don't know if I was just being gullible but the the use of Bradley is like a red herring as maybe he was they, they made it like he was covering it up didn't they yeah um, yeah and then the fact it wasn't him is really good um, and I guess just the final payoff we get they don't pander to the audience here or default to any easy touches like the easy, <laughs> easy touches sounds like yeah. such a bad play on words like, we they let us make our mind up and just bank on we're going to have the correct reaction to the work that's done yeah um because even even at the end we aren't really celebrating we're, we're more just in horror at this could have been a thing we're, we're not it's not a happy moment that they get the story out is it no um no you have very very small minimal wins where like the guy who's Stanley Tucci's character Garabedian yeah you have like a very very small win that he gets the paper before he's good in this as well yeah really good you get like the small win that he gets the paper before it's put out to, yeah. to kind of the public like that's not a win no the, the that's final, not a win but it is the final third they're just hammering everything home you've got yeah. uh, Robbie asking the guys from the school which sport they played and driving home that it could have been them you yes, have, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The hockey, he he yeah. coached the hockey team. Yeah, yeah. The yep. kids singing um, "Holy Night" while they pen the article. <laughs> You've yeah. got um, it's all f- set at Christmas time, which is meant to be happy and about children receiving presents, that, and it's not. That final scene with um, Ruffalo he drops, and he drops Tucci the papers characters. off on the on the priest's doorsteps, doesn't he? Yeah, but you have got the scene with Ruffalo and Tucci's characters where we see Garabedian's clients at the end, and there's the two kids mm-hmm. in the room. That's horrible. You know, it's still happening. Yeah. And yep. it's it's all just it's done with. This is the thing, like you're meant to. The whole way through. I feel like you're meant to. When he when he's first introduced, you're meant to kind of not like Tucci's character. Well, you're, they build him up, don't they? they say, oh, he's a character, and he's he a seems bit like he's very a bit grounded and normal. Yeah, yeah, you're like, oh, he's a, he's a bit of a villain. He's a bit weird. He won't he won't let this reporter that's trying to do justice and do good into yeah. his room. And then when you meet him, you're like, actually, this guy's just a really really good guy that is just broken by the system and you see and I think that is probably how it happened you see Sasha's grandmother reading the paper yeah um, Robbie and Resendez walking into the uh, spotlight the morning the story broke yep and the phone's ringing for spotlight but not for the globe yeah and yeah. just the way um, Boston I guess is sold in this it's shot as really dreary when it needs to be the shots of them uh, when she's doing the reporting and when Ruffalo's doing it and there's like a guy saying, you know, I don't come out there and kick your ass and all well, there's this. this. There's this ideology that Boston is this huge, huge community city. Is Boston a city or a state? That's bad city. geography. Yeah, it's a city, right? So there's this huge ideology that is, you know, 
everyone's connected to everyone but then at the end of the film i think you get this sense that maybe it's not as connected or it is but maybe when people needs, yeah maybe people aren't as upfront and as open as they should be it's more reserved than what of, i think is presented to be at the start because at, at the start they attack the editor don't they the, the new guy that's come in yeah. they attack him he's and an they're outsider. like look he's he's not from boston he's an outsider and then by the end it's a little bit like well maybe maybe actually fucking everyone in boston's an outsider because you know this has been going on for years couple of questions then so the lawyer the one who is taking the payments and facilitating that yeah 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 is that one that is a bit on the second watch the fact that he doesn't just hand over the names earlier or is it that look you've had your chance and now I've got to protect myself first I don't know what he's trying to defend because he he because he, he kind of puts up a front the whole then he's like well I sent you it and then sends it again anyway yeah exactly so he's like I already sent this to you five but then you see how many people are covering up I guess that maybe it's look I tried to do my bit and yeah um the scene where Sasha interviews the priest who admits it all, and that's supposed to be the most shocking scene oh, yeah. in the film. Yeah. Is that did you need that? When when you've got so much of the dirty work, did you need something like that? I in don't the really middle? get I don't really get that scene because what the the sister the sister tears him back, right? Yeah. And the sister says he doesn't want to talk to you, blah blah blah. But are we, are we meant to think? Are we meant to think that this guy is just at the end of his tether and he's admitting it because he's he's admitting it and he's well, he doesn't see how he doesn't see that it's bad. No, I know, but in his head, maybe he's justified that it's not. Maybe yeah, I, I think maybe twenty years ago when he first did it, in his head, it was a little bit dodgy. But I think considering he's an old man, maybe now he's come to terms with it and he's like, actually, I'm not a bad guy. I think it's to show that they don't actually. It's so normalized, but they're not. Because yeah. the rest of the film, it's heavy, but that's as on the nose as anything in the film. I didn't know if you maybe you just needed something like that. Just you needed a point of like, okay, this is the peak. I'm driving home. This you need, probably needed some culpability from the church within the film. Yeah, you needed you needed their comment. Yeah, but I I don't I don't know I don't know how I see that scene. Whether it's that. I don't know whether it's, it, it is that guy. And I think it's again that it's being covered up because she, yeah. she drags him away. But then part of that part of that scene make, makes me think maybe it's a little bit like mental mental illness. Like that guy is like maybe 80s, 70s, 80s. Well, he says, doesn't he? Maybe that, he's got like dementia and he's just admitting it. Well, he says that, no, I know there's a difference because I was raped too. Yeah. It happened to me. But so it's I never, didn't do that. It's never elaborated on, yeah. So it's yeah, it's an interesting scene. It's all nuts, but it is an interesting scene. Um, I guess I guess it's there to show yeah the other side of the coin, and the fact that the other side of the coin is as dirty as we thought it was. And then could they have ended it any better than that credit closing scene with just the list of cities? No, that is like no. I remember in the cinema, no one stood up. It was just pure, just silence. Silence, yeah. like because there's a couple of cities. From, there's a couple of cities from uh, England on there. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. It's Middlesbrough shocking. was the one that caught my eye. Yeah, it's shocking. It is. It it is shocking. You're just you're watching, and it is just when stats and figures are put in front of you, and there is no, um, you know, leeway between 
anything. This is this is the statistics of what has happened. What can you do? I you have to just sit there and a, 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 I was about to say admire yeah, it. I think sit there and acknowledge it. I think to prevent any pushback as well. Like there was nothing remotely controversial in this that anyone from within the church could say that can't be in there. The fact they went all fact, no fiction. There was mm-hmm. nothing. There was no dramatized conversation with someone within the church that has that isn't on record. Yeah, and so it just meant that it was unequivocally like there. Like there was nothing that could be done. Yeah. Um, anything else to add, or should we get onto the judging? Um, I don't think I've got anything to add. Spotlight's a pretty grim one to end yeah. on, but it's an, it's an important film. Yeah, brilliant film as well. Yeah, um, very, very good. All right. Which film did you prefer? Uh, I think Zodiac is better than Spotlight. I agree. Which film is more rewatchable? Zodiac. I also agree. Yeah. Uh, best moment slash scene in either of them yeah um, best moments I, I like I like the bar scene in Zodiac where they're drinking the, the blue drink yeah that's that's my favourite scene out of the two films mine's the first murder scene in Zodiac yeah best quote you said it earlier didn't you my favourite, well, uh, no, I've got two favourite quotes. So my favourite quote is actually from Spotlight, which is when the guy says to all of them, the three of them, he's like, do you guys want anything? When they're at the baseball game, he's like, oh, I'm, going, I'm going up to get food and whatever. Do you guys want anything? And then Ruffalo's like, no, 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 no. And, he's, and then straight afterwards, he goes, a hot dog. That's my favourite quote out of the two films because he just that scene is so so good. He's like, "You guys want anything? I'm going up." He's like, "No, no, I'm cool." And then three seconds later, "Give me a hot dog." That's my favourite quote. Um, but that's it. That's all you need. But my favourite, my favourite quote from Zodiac is the is I want to look in his eyes thing. Gillenall says that. Yeah, mine would. I think it's probably Arthur Lee Allen doing that. And if I was, I wouldn't tell you. Yeah. That's the one that's uh, stuck with me. Against yeah. the three of them, yeah. Um, MVP across both films. Best character. They can't die while in the film. Um, <laughs> I think Paul Avery is my favourite. If I had to pick a character out of the two films, yeah. Paul Avery is the one that's the most charismatic and watchable but I think again I don't think that's necessarily because of the character I think it's because of Robert Downey Jr but he's he's great <laughs> like it is what it is he's my favourite to watch I'm deciding between the two Ruffalo characters Ruffalo is I'm gonna go for Resendez yeah Ruffalo's a fantastic actor I won't take that away from him. I just think Paul Avery is a... Well, I'd probably, I guess I know your answer the best side character as well because... <laughs> it'll be Avery, yeah. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to... I'm gonna Who go would f- count as a side character in um, Zodiac, though? Would Gyllenhaal be the main character? Yeah, I, th- I think it's probably... So Ruffalo would be a side character? I'd... 
it's, it's a tough one for them. I think all three of them, if we were going to get into it, you could probably argue aren't side characters. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, I'm going to go for Patrick McSorley in the uh, spotlight. Yeah. Which film has better character development? Uh, Development-wise, it's got to be Zodiac, surely. They, they change more than they do in Spotlight. Most dramatic scene? Most dramatic scene... Over the two? Yeah, yeah it's all over the two. Uh, well, it goes to Zodiac, so it has the most dramatic scenes. Prob- I mean, the basement scene is probably the most yeah. dramatic scene. Yeah. Best soundtrack? <laughs> um... I'd say I'd say Spotlight wow. purely because I just don't I don't really remember it from Zodiac. Wow. Disrespect of the hurdy gurdy man. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Which film is more original? Uh original. I'm gonna go Zodiac for I'd the go- way it plays a serial killer film. I'd go Spotlight purely for the fact that how many films do you know that tackle the fact that priests are nonces? Which film made a bigger impact? Uh, Spotlight again. Zodiac. There's a lot of there's a lot of films about serial killers. I know, but and TV shows about big serial killers. Fi- I'm gonna I'm gonna go Zodiac on that one. Mm. Best opening scene. Zodiac. You may have to get up to let the cat out. Yeah, that's fun. Um. Pesky cat. Um, which film has the best ending? Oh, did I ask you which film has the best opening scene? Opening, yeah, yeah. Zodiac. Okay. Um, and which film has the best ending? Uh, Zodiac. I also agree. Best chemistry? <sighs> Zodiac. Oh, I, I, that's really hard, though. This feels disrespectful, because yeah. Spotlight, Spotlight hasn't got a single one yet. This it feels wildly disrespectful. No, no, no. I've, I well, think... I, do, I have said I said Spotlight for a couple, I think. Yeah, but we Zo- agree on that. So. No, I've, I, I stand by it. Zodiac. Zodiac. It's a whitewash. 7-0. Really? To Zodiac. So Zodiac goes through to the next round. Next week, we have the final matchup of the first round training day the first film we've <laughs> ever done twice on this podcast up against Denzel again it's a Denzel derby in two guns nice. so see you there for that and then it's on to round two so thank you again for listening it's not training day next it's not training day next we've got another episode coming this week I'm getting ahead of myself we've got Angel and Demons against Primal Fear <laughs> feels like I'm getting very religious again you are. that one's about a dodgy priest as well but they're out there. See you there. End of the week. Adios. Bye.